Welcome to Rogue Bows. This is episode 27. We are plugging along, getting them out nicely. Thanks for joining us. Mr. Pro, what's going on? Just another fucking day in paradise. I should be flying to Greece right now. Yeah, yeah you should be. Tell us, tell us all about that. So for those that don't know, Pro was headed over to Athens, supposedly yesterday, American time, and uh, we, we scheduled, you know, I was, you know, being a good producer that I am, trying to schedule around his his silly schedule. Um, he ended up missing his flight. What happened, man? Folks, you know, I'm Mister Fucking Rule Follower. So whatever rule you give me, I don't give a fuck if it's you know how bullshit it is. A rule's a rule. So going to Greece, the Greek government needs you to if you're going to travel to Greece from the United States you got to have a covid test within 3 days i've never had a covid test in my life i had to go to a cvs went to the wrong fucking cvs went to a cvs on wednesday got my fucking covid test they said oh, a day or two got it in a day so you have to have the re- you have to take the test 3 days of getting to Greece so my first flight's supposed to be so i get the printout from cvs they email it to me printed it out you know, print it out, have that fucking like laminated, have all my documents in order. And I get to the airport three hours before my flight. I'm scared shit because I haven't fucking flown in two, done anything in two fucking years. I'm like fucking chunk from fucking the Goonies. Like they got me locked in a fucking basement in my house. I haven't been, I haven't, I haven't left my house in about two years. So I've fucking, I'm already on edge on that. I get to the, I get to the kiosk. They say, all right, put your information in. I did. And then I'm like, all right, he says, where's your COVID test? Now, the, the fucking United Airlines website says you, you could have a you need a COVID test, but that's you're exempt from the COVID test if you have a vaccination card. So I got both. So I think I'm fucking all set. So I go in there, I give him the COVID test. He goes, I can't take this. Well, I said, What do you mean you can't take it? He said, I can't take it. It does what labs this from? I said, I got it from CVS. That's the printout they give you. He goes, No, it doesn't have a CVS logo. I go, what do I look like? Fucking, you know, what do I look like? Johnny fucking Makita? I don't know why they don't have a fucking logo on it. I logged into the fucking CVS website to get my results to show them. Can't take this. I said, what are you talking about? So now I've got like, I went from three hours to about an hour before my fucking flight. It's almost an hour before my flight. I thought I was fucking done. And because I, I got to go to Newark and I got a two hour, del- like only about two hours to get to my flight from Newark to go to Athens. So I go there, this fucking guy, this fucking asshole, you know, he probably needed a GED to get out of fucking kindergarten. This fucking dumb fuck. Like I'm like, buddy, I said millions of people probably take this test at CVS just to travel. I said, there's no way that this is not taken from any fucking airline. So they're fucking arguing me. So finally, this lady comes up, works at United. She goes, you know, I do the whole kiosk thing and they fucking let me go. So I'm almost fucking late to my fucking flight. I got, so I, I, I got to go to line and drop my bags off. So this fucking asshole that fucking, this asshole has about 120 pounds in his fucking bag. Like he's literally like 10 pounds over. So he's taking shit out, getting plastic fucking bags like he works at he works at a fucking you know supermarket. He's got about eight bags of them. I'm almost fucking late. Then my plane gets delayed. And I only had about a two-hour window. My fucking plane gets delayed like four hours. I miss my fucking flight. There's only one flight going out of Newark. I told these guys, do it on American, don't do it on fucking United. Because United always gets it fucked up. Always gets Shout it fucked up. Shout out to United. <laughs> 
Yeah, shout out to fucking United. I they always fuck this stuff up. Americans not perfect either, but like I've never had this issue in American. So I'm like, oh fuck. So I'm wait. I, I was there literally all day. I finally said, fuck it. I'm out. I, I, I'm just gonna fly out tomorrow. So hopefully tomorrow this shit doesn't happen. But now my COVID test is expired. I had to take another COVID test at CVS tonight. I don't know if I, I, like and I, it takes like a day to get the results. I don't know if they're gonna let me on. They're not gonna fucking let me on. I'll tell you what. What a fucking day. But wait, you said you had a, you've got a va- you've got a vax card though, right? Got a vax card, but you know these fucking morons. They're, they're not. They're gonna say. Well, isn't that your? Isn't that your vax to freedom? That's what I'm hearing. I mean, you're supposed to get the vax, and then you can go and do everything. That's just like Australia. <laughs> I didn't even need a fucking vaccination, folks. I got so much fructose corn syrup going through my body. There's no fucking way COVID's gonna fucking get to me. All right, cholesterol and fucking and and fructose corn syrup kills fucking COVID. So I got no worries about fucking COVID. All right, un fucking believable. So, oh god! So that's how you can get out. You can get out tomorrow. Yeah, same same flight. So now I got I I got all window seats, so I could at least get away from the aisle. So I mean, you know, I'm I'm a super spreader waiting to happen anyway. But I wanted to hide from fucking people. Now they, of course, they don't have any window seats left because it's a day before the flight. So now I got all aisle seats. I mean, I'm I'm fucking patient zero, waiting to fucking happen, folks. Mm. The fun of uh, air travel, man. Those tight connections. I've had many of those. I've uh, oh, God. cussed out my travel agent many a times when he had me on an hour and a half connections and then one small thing goes wrong and you're in some trouble. But um, the COVID thing is just – it just doesn't seem like it's going to end. We're good old Australia. I don't know if you followed our case here, but um, – Oh, yeah. We get a handful of cases and they lock down everything. Um, so, you know, um, there's been a few lockdowns. Half of Australia is pretty much locked down. Um, it's just it's just a crazy time. And the more I read about this new Delta variant, pro highly contagious, way more contagious than the last variant. But one thing politicians forget to mention is it's much less deadly. So in the clickbait articles we see in all these panic headlines, it's it's never mentioned. Funnily enough, so um, you got to kind of do your own reading to to find it out, which is a shame. I should be balls deep in fucking gyros right now, not fucking on this podcast right now waiting for my flight, my doomed flight for tomorrow. There's no fucking way. My luck. You think I'm bad at picking fucking games? I'm fucking Johnny. I'm I'm Jimmy the Greek. I'm fucking um, Bob Volgaris compared to fucking what I do on picking games compared to fucking my luck on travel or anything else <laughs> fucking anything else to do with life I'm, I'm i'm double vulgaris i could pick games in my sleep how bad i am at picking f- fucking flights i mean picking fucking games i'm way worse in regular life i'm a fucking disaster you are happen. going over there for a basketball host a basketball camp correct yeah so it's a, an elite like high school camp that they run in greece great people run the camp and um they got a camp that's supposed to be like it's supposed to be nice, like in Lutraki, Greece, and it's like one of the best camps in Greece, like for young, for high school age kids. And then I'm supposed to go to Athens and um, work out some pro guys and do some coaching clinics and stuff. I was, I'm really looking forward to it. But like when I got off the plane, it's supposed to be a day of like chilling at your, you know, chilling at the Let's hotel, go going to lunch and dinner with these guys, Bye-bye. you know, talking about camp. Not yeah, bye bye. Of course, <laughs> of course. Bend me fucking over again. Get to work, buddy. Yeah, I gotta get in. I miss. A, I already missed a session at camp. Now I gotta come in like you know, fucking hobo off the fucking flight to come in there. I mean, come on, man. Like 
Seriously. Could be going to a worse place though. Greece is beautiful. Greece is a great place. I've enjoyed. Oh yeah, I've enjoyed I can. my time there many a times. Great, great people. Um, you just got to watch your wallet. Make sure it's always attached to your pocket when you're walking the streets. But nah, it's just a joke for my Greek friends. But great food, great culture. Um, very proud people. Yeah. very, very proud people. No like, doubt. Don't say anything against Greece. You know, um, but last time I was uh, I was at Greece, I was having fucking pizza watching your ass play. So I mean, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, another good adventure in Greece. Yeah, it'll be good. Good luck with your trip, but let's get rolling. We are here for a basketball pod. All these, all these listeners are probably like, where's the basketball? So let's get rolling. We have um, the Western Conference Finals have obviously finished up an amazing series for the Phoenix Suns. Um, look, the Clippers caught the injury bug, much like many other teams. They end up winning that series 4-2. The Clippers were kind of in and out of that game all throughout. It looked like they were going to make a run, and then they couldn't. And um, CP3 was just huge in that closeout game. You know, uh, an amazing game. No turnovers. Scored a 40 ball or 41, whatever he had. I think Paul George salvaged his his image. You know, I think it's a bullshit image anyway in the media that he has about hitting the side of the backboard that one series last season and how he's he's not playoff P. I think people just kind of poured a little bit of fuel on that. He's still a fantastic player and an elite player in the league. I think he, he salvaged his image. One person who didn't was Patrick Beverly, <laughs> which we'll get to a little bit later. Jesus he, Christ. He, uh, you know, you love his tenacity and the way he plays. You just know that he's a player that you hate to play against and would love to play with, but the way he finished that series. Look, we've all wanted to do that, especially to CP3. <laughs> There'd be a long line of guys that would want to do that, but you just know. I mean, if you're going to talk shit and get in people's faces like Patrick Beverly does, Chris Paul gave it back to him on that timeout, said something to him. You, you can't go do that. But how did you see the series and did you, did you think it would be this one-sided no, I think I had the Clippers winning with the injury to Kawhi. They still hung in there very well. You thought they 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 sort of were going to do, you know, they were going to win the series even without Kawhi. But I'll tell you what, hats off to Phoenix. I mean, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Bridges, obviously Booker. I mean, they they played well. They played their balls off. It was a fun series to watch. I'm happy for those guys because they were like – the redheaded stepchild, like if, especially for me, I, I didn't pick them to win anything, and, and and these guys are going to the finals, and no one really had them. They just kept on. They had confidence. They had toughness. They got a little lucky with some injuries, you know, to the Clippers and things. But I mean, they played. They played their hearts out. You know, Monty Williams did a great job, you know, coaching and keeping those guys together. The Beverly thing, Beverly reminds me a lot of Ron Artest after two thousand and ten. You know, physically not the player he used to be, still can make an impact based on, you know, intimidation, talking shit, you know, mind games, some cheap shots. He can do that and still have a little bit of impact, but his shit's going to, you know, cost you. You know, remember, you know, remember our test with the elbow to uh, James Harden in 2011. And and, and same thing, like they're they're just wild wild cards and, and you can't. You can't rely on him like that because you know sometimes they're going to blow up. And for all the good things that he does as far as like keeping you in it and things, even though he really physically can't dominate games or anything, but he could he'd give you a game here and there. But like that push in the back was just, yeah, there's no need for it. And it just makes him look bad. And yeah, it was a tough thing. Well, he did have a first quarter. It looked like he was going to go for 40. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. Came out gunning. He did. He played, played okay, but yeah, he's, we'll, get, we'll get to him a little bit later. There's some some more comments yeah. around around him. I think the uh, Aiden was phenomenal for me. I mean, Zubat's um, missing, missing the last couple of games. Obviously, there wasn't a whole lot of size for Aiden to battle against. I think Zubat's did a, a decent job at least trying to just keep a body on him. But man, he was, he was doing more than I thought he could on that block as well. They were going down low to him, obviously, with Batum and smaller guys on him at times. Uh, Morris, Morris Senior. I think... Um, 
yeah, just one of those things that he just he just found his way as as the playoffs have progressed and gotten better and better and better and better. And I've really enjoyed his progression. I didn't think he'd be that good this quick. And he's he's starting to evolve in more of just the you know catch and finish lob guy, rebound a shot blocker. He has actually got some stuff down there and some nice touch. He hit a few turnaround jumpers, a few fadeaways. Like he he's starting to really get his confidence up. Yeah, his hooks were really good. His range and his hook is a lot better than I would ever give him credit for. I mean, the, the work that Mark Bryant does, Mark Bryant's the assistant coach there. He's one of the, if not the best big man coach in the league, very close to it. And, you know, his range on hooks could turn over either shoulder. His pick and roll defense on switches, being able to keep, you know, guards in front of him and do a great job with that. I mean, he's done a phenomenal job in his development and, and taking being a professional serious. And um, he's a big part of that team, you know, and, and I guess you can go back, obviously, like you would, if you go back to that draft, you would obviously want to take Luca one, but I'll tell you what, the numbers that he puts up and, and what he's been doing and, and what you could project out for him, you can definitely make the case that he should be a number one pick, not necessarily over a player like Luca, but like you could definitely put him in the, in, in a conversation saying, you know what, like a number one pick these are the numbers he's putting up. That's it's almost close or on par with the number you know, with the number one picks in past. Is he you know is he this Hall of Fame player? Who knows? But he's a really good player. He's probably knocking on the door of being an All Star and close to that. But um, that the work he's done and the seriousness he's put into it, I, you know, hats off to that guy. He's very fun to watch. Very enjoyable to watch. Yeah, he's been really, really good in that series. As we said, finishing 4-2, so Phoenix are off to the finals. Pro, we're going to see a whole lot more Phoenix Suns gear over the next couple of years now with all these young kids. There's going to be a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of Booker and Aiden jerseys rolling around the world. No doubt. No doubt. That bandwagon is going to be very full. A lot of credit's going to be thrown around, you know, who did it, where and why. It's like a fucking game of Clue. And uh, But there will be a lot of fucking bandwagon jumping going on in the Phoenix Suns. You gotta give them credit. I mean, no they they have done a fantastic job. As you mentioned, there were some injuries along the way, but you need that luck. You need that luck to get to an NBA Finals. A lot of times, you need to have a healthy regular season. You need to have a, all your stars kind of fresh for the playoffs. And um, they've been pretty good with the injury bug. CP3 missed a few games with that COVID deal, but for the most part, they've they've been pretty healthy and they're their last team standing. So they are team one in the finals. Team two, we don't know yet. Atlanta, Milwaukee, currently three two at time of recording. Game six is tomorrow in Atlanta. Giannis. Big injury for them. I'm surprised Milwaukee still dominated the way they did. I thought it'd be a little bit closer, but they had a phenomenal game five. But we also have to also remember that Trey Young um, was out for game five as well. So two of the, their, their stars, their number one guys are out. This was the Brook Lopez game I've been waiting for, Pro. Um, I've been... I've been a big fan of trying to get him and been pretty vocal on this part of trying to get him on the block at times. And we'll get to a few numbers down down later in the pod in the um in the stats segment. But he was huge for them. He looked like he looked like Shaq out there at times, just dunking everything, wasn't floating to three as much, was rolling, was on the block. And I think that's the tweak that Bud has now made and probably figured out, if not by accident, I'm not sure. Um, where with Giannis out now, I think we're gonna see a steady diet of of how far Brook Lopez can take him. And that's kind of an outlier in my opinion. If they happen to get through to the Suns is to put some pressure on Aiden on that block and, and, and see how you can guard. And like I said a couple of pods ago, Brook Lopez was a he was a top five catcher on the block post player um when he was with Brooklyn or the, or the New Jersey Nets back in the day. So that's a good adjustment they've made. What are you hearing about about Trey Young and, and Giannis? I just read something about Giannis saying there's a potential for him to be back in game seven. I mean if he's back I'd be 
absolutely amazing. He's one of those guys that plays at all costs. I, I don't see it with the injury that he had, but what are you hearing on both those guys from the injury front? Yeah, I'm hearing the same. Uh, Trey, you might be able to see, obviously, in the rest of the series, you could see him. I, I'd be very shocked unless they can get Mr. Miyagi to clap his hands and put that green shit on his fucking knee. I mean, I didn't even see the play. Thankfully, I missed it. I hate seeing those knee injuries. I'm, I, I've never watched the Sean Livingston injury. I refuse, you know, I refuse to watch this one. Uh, just I hate that hyperextension. It just gives me the chills. But from what I've been told, that you know the way it, the way that knee sort of locked up, and you know the direction it went, it, it doesn't look great that he could come back. But I mean, who the fuck knows? But yeah, I, I, I'd be very shocked to see him the rest of the series and that brooke lopez thing you, you hit it right on the head man i mean like the the way that nba defenses are just a bunch of fucking lemmings that do the same everybody does the same thing they switch to pick and roll and nobody likes to take advantage of the big on the switch because of analytics and 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 you know posting up's bad but I understand, and we talked about this a thousand times in the pod about, yeah, I just don't come down and just throw it to the big. But, you know, if you're going to switch and have those matchups, why not punish them and throw it on the block? Remember, they should have won. They should have won that um, that Toronto series a couple of years ago when they kept on going to Brook and he was scoring at will. And this guy has one of the best post players in, in you know in his in his career is one of the best big men, big men I've seen on the low block. I mean the guy is very good at it. And to keep on punishing teams if they want to keep switching, keep going to them. Now if they don't switch, you know if they actually you know do some actually originality defensively and they don't switch and they and they keep a big on them, then maybe you don't post them as much. But if they're gonna switch that, you post him every fucking time. I mean the guy you know. I mean, I'd argue to post him even without a switch. I mean, he's a bucket. Like I've, yeah. I was an all-defensive oh, no player for a number of years, and I, I, I had games where he was giving me problems. Like his his ball just goes in. Um, shout out to to a, an old assistant coach of mine, Alvin Gentry. He was like, "This guy's ball just goes in. He's one of those guys. It'll it'll bounce around, and the thing just falls down. And um, he's just got very good touch, and he's a very good free throw shooter, and, and draws a lot of fouls. He, you know, people forget he was probably one of the pioneers, at least from the post of that swing through we see now that James Harden and whatnot do from the three he, he was huge on that you know he would basically you'd have an armbar on him and he and, and he'd, have, he'd have his back to the basket and then quickly just turn and, and rip through and get your arm and shoot and get to the free throw line and a big fan of, of what he's done this series and i think it's yeah it's just going to come down to injuries which is a shame i mean either of these teams to me getting through um the trey young one is an interesting one because he probably could play on it for those that don't know it's, it's a bone bruise in his ankle slash foot we don't know exactly where but the concern you have with bone bruises i'm not a doctor by any means but i, I know enough about injuries because i've had a shitload of them uh, with bone bruises especially in your feet and your ankle is that can lead to a, a foot fracture or an ankle fracture so that's probably why they've got him held out um he probably could shoot it up and play I, I have no doubt but they probably have to be real careful with him because you get one of those liz frank or one of those those foot fractures a la ben simmons or a, la a few guys had early in their career it, it can actually change you know your career the way you run the way you move so i i like the fact they're trying to protect him but they're also you know a game two two wins away from the finals it's kind of a, a tough decision i'm sure trey wants to play so it'll be interesting to see how that all goes and if he even makes it back in this series yeah i agree i mean i mean you know, longevity, do you really want to risk something for this series? Now, it's a, a lot of stakes are, you know, it's a lot of, it's not the New York series, you know, it's not first round where uh, maybe I get to the second round. This is the final, you know, getting to the finals. And I understand the pressure of doing that, but you don't want to really hurt somebody, 
you know, long term. You know, remember Kevin McHale in his career and playing on a, you know, I think a fractured ankle and ended up crippling him for the rest of his career as far as the rest of his life, you know, the way he has to walk and live his everyday life. And hey, look, I don't know. It's a tough decision, but I, w- I really wouldn't, I wouldn't risk it. I think you've done a lot this, this year and just being able to go out and ball out and, you know, maybe come back to this next year. I think from what you've done with the confidence in this organization now, and the young players and look, we gave them, we gave them a hard time early in the year like everybody else did. And what they did as far as a mindset of development of we could play with anybody in this league. And we've got this kid, Trey Young, that not a lot of people believed in. Guy's got more self-confidence than anyone else almost I've ever seen. He, he's come light years as far as the development of running a team, running pick and roll, being an elite scorer on that pick and roll, be able to run his team and beat teams. And look, the hats off to them. I mean, they're, they've got all these young guys and, you know, they, they've figured some things out. So, well. I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good signings, you know. And again, remember when Lloyd Pierce got fired, Bogdanovich wasn't playing, Capella was in and out of the lineup, Chris Dunn didn't play at all up to that point. Not that he's a, you know, not that he's a, a big time difference maker, but like you've got all these guys that could really help you that's been out. Now they come back and to mix with these young kids who aren't scared of anybody. The Red Rocket Herder, I mean, he's, you know, he's come up big with his sh- shot making, his play and yeah, it's uh, they'll be a fun team to watch. And hey, whatever happens, happens. I just yeah, don't want to put the kid it's just in hard. I mean, Yeah, Trey Young is your franchise, so they they need to take that into account. If this was, you know, making a name up, Danilo Gallinari, they'd probably shoot him up. He's towards the end of his career and be like, suck it up, get out there, help us get to a finals. But you know, if it's mm. a three, four, five guy, you'd probably maybe maybe push towards playing, and that's just the reality of the NBA. But your superstar, absolute star that you know could potentially break his foot or ankle with a weak bone at the moment you just want to be real careful with but like i hope i hope both of them come back um the flip side of this is either of these teams get through to the finals without a trey young or a Giannis. i think that's going to be an ugly finals um so i, I really want those guys to come back so we can have a, a close and thrilling finals but geez i mean phoenix is just completely in the box seat to just and people talk about asterisks for phoenix and this and that it is what it is you got you can only play what's in front of you yes they've had some luck yes there's been injuries on other teams that's a part of the part of the nba it's a part of soccer of the world cup the olympics um it's part of you know every sport you play injuries play a massive part and they've, they've stayed the healthiest um they've been pretty lucky in that sense but to, to call it an asterisk which is what i've seen some people talking about um a championship's a championship in my opinion yeah without question even with kobe like you know he loses the celtics in 08 09 kevin garnett gets hurt like, right before the playoffs or during that year you know, so they, he didn't have to face them. He faces the Orlando Magic in the finals. You know, it was a lot easier. And then they go in 2010. They're about to lose that series because Bynum's hurt. You know, the Celtics are killing it. And then Perkins goes down in game six and, you know, sort of Celtics lost so much on a rebounding defensive, you know, defensive deal on, on Gasol and some of these other guys that um, it cost them the series. So, Sometimes you just need that luck. You just have to be the last man standing, stay as healthy as you can, stay focused on what you got to do. And maybe hopefully the other team, something happens, somebody goes down or it's interesting stuff, man. But yeah, that's the playoffs. There's a lot of shit that goes on during the playoffs with injuries and little plays that you're like, holy shit. Yeah, I remember um, real quick. I remember like in the 90s or 80s, the 80s, Celtics and, and Pistons. Pistons were you know, we're like killing it, killing it at Boston Garden. It was a hot, it was a hot, hot day in the, you know, deep in May or so. And I think it was the Eastern Conference Finals. 
and two players from the Detroit Pistons. It was like a fucking soap opera. They fucking collide and they basically get like concussions or like they had like ice bags in their head. They had it. They both got out of the game and ruined all momentum they had. And the Celtics came back and, you know, sort of put the finishing touches on them. It, you never know. Like shit like that happens all the time. You just got to, you got to stay with it. But hey, it's been a hell of a, you know, been a hell of a playoffs. It's probably not going to be what the, the NBA wants as far as viewership and, you know, people actually caring if, you know, if, if it's a Phoenix Atlanta thing or even Phoenix Milwaukee to a certain degree, especially if Giannis ain't going to play. But you know what? I, I don't fuck those asterisks. It, it got, it, you play with what you have. You play against the opponent that's out there. You can't control that shit. So if they win, they win. Great for them. Yeah. And then uh, I had a little laugh at, LeBron chiming up again because of his um, again. Well, he just kind of said like, you know, because the injury thing that he made a he made a little stink about. You know, I told him we talked about it a couple of pods ago. I told I told the league this is gonna, guys going to get hurt. Oh yeah, we discussed. Well, if you take less money, you play less games, and why don't you do that? But he kind of after the Giannis injury was kind of like I told you so, and you're like, dude, like I don't care how rested you are or how many games you played if you're. Your, your knees put in the position that Giannis's was. You could be fresh off a full off season of weightlifting, training, taking fucking steroids. For all I know, your knees going <laughs> like he, yeah, his knee got taken out from under him. So it was, just, it was just an interesting one that that was the the heel he was willing to die on again. About I told you so. Like nah, man, that's that's a car that's a car accident type injury, man. Like you can't. I don't care how many RDLs, clean pulls, squats you're doing. It's a tough thing to not hurt your knee doing what he did. I'm shocked he, you know, I'm very shocked and appalled that he actually took a story about somebody else and he turned it about himself. That's, that never happens with him. <laughs> He's not in the final, so we need to talk about him somehow. Uh, real quick, we, we discussed what Nico Harrison's role was last episode. We didn't know what the official title was. He's officially the GM. Uh, that's been announced over the last week. So just one bit of housekeeping there. We kind of speculated, President, GM, what was the role? But officially the GM, there are some questions around what Michael Finley's role now is. Cuban was asked about it and says, as per his policy and team policy, he doesn't comment on team roles, which is interesting. So we'll follow that um, as it goes. And big, big move for Nico Harrison to be the basically officially the GM of the Dallas Mavericks. Moving on, the NBA pro, they're once again eyeing and, and, and t- tinkering with the NBA season. Mid-season tournament that could increase the media deal to, what is it, 70, 75 billion apparently? Which is just, Jeez. I mean, that that is a B I see that I'm reading seventy five B. Whoa, interesting. There's there's been you know we, we talk about it all the time. Um, you know, in a couple of our group chats, we talked about it with Strauss about viewership and ratings. They are down, people. It is what it is. Um, but money is going up, so it's one of those weird things. But ratings are are heavily down year on year with conference finals compared to you know, this year compared to a couple of years ago, whatever, that is what it is. But it, I think this is a play to try and, you know, give the media some sweetness, whether they go to a streaming or streaming service, whether they go to a cable only, whether they can stay with ESPN for the immediate future, just another cherry to try and put in those media deals. But I mean, I'm not sure how mid-season tournament would work, number one. And number two, 75 billion, like, I have no idea how that's going to work. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go my my typical, you know, why the why the you know the deals going up when the ratings are down thing my my deal is for this actual tournament to me there's too many games as it is like these guys don't give a fuck about about half of the games anyway and they play like they're in a fucking morgue and, and the, the style is bullshit but how are you going to make it where these guys are going to be excited because if these guys aren't excited it's like one of those like 
you know, Portland Trailblazers versus Detroit Pistons games in fucking February deals yeah. where nobody gives a fuck. Yeah. Like, for me, if I'm the teams, I'm either putting up major money and giving it to the winners and very little money for the loser where, like, it's like a million dollars a player and, like, 50 grand for the loser. You know, they won't do that, but I'm saying, like, or or you give away a draft. The teams aren't going to give a fuck about a draft pick. Maybe to me, you give like the highest seed in the tournament, like the, the finisher that is in the sort of the brink of being in the play-in where they you you make them not in the play-in or something like that. Like you got to give something where these players actually give a fuck about these oh, games. Oh, money. It has to be money-based. You can't have it. You can't have yeah. it predicating seeding, which is still another two months yeah. away, which there's games in between. So there'll be games after the mid-season tournament for the playoffs. You can't have that. Like what if a team went 0-20 but still had a – because we yeah. won the tournament we're in. I doubt it'll really affect the seeding for playoffs. I think it's going to be a – you know, a monetary fiscal thing, whatever you want to call it, where there's teams get bonus money and depending on where you finish, each player gets a share of that bonus money. I assume that's what they're going to do because there's no yeah. other, what other cherry, yeah, what other cherry you're going to put on it? Hey, uh, yeah, you get to play the game you love for another 30 games. <laughs> Oof, yeah. And then, you know, like, I don't know, they're, they're trying to get, to get to the regular schedule. So I assume that they're, they're eyeing playing 82. So you're going to play 82 plus this fucking tournament or you're just going to go 82 including the tournament and then how many teams are going to be in the tournament you know you you see the you know the Copa del Rey in in in, in um in Spain and you know these other cups that are played in, in, in international leagues like you know you get the top teams right to play but like how I just wonder how you're going to see this like because like if you're trying to get Say you're trying to get like Milwaukee against, I don't know, the Milwaukee versus the Clippers again or something like that, like in this tournament. Well, you're going to get that in the finals. So are they just going to love that again? I mean, th- those are probably going to be some of the games you're going to see on Christmas anyway. Like, I'm just wondering what this tournament's going to be like. How are you going to get it where it's exciting, where the players are going to actually give a fuck? B, where, te- you know, the fans are going to be like, oh, this is something we don't really get to see a lot. Well, yeah, you do. There's eight, there's a thousand fucking games. You, you, you'll see it eventually. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, like, how are you going to get that to be exciting, you know? Well, hopefully they've asked LeBron first and foremost because that's the, of course. the elephant in the room. But I would love to see, instead of this, I'm not sure how they do it, and I'm surprised it's not been, it hasn't been explored. I, I kind of am. I kind of know why. But but a club cha- a world club championship for me, they used to do them back in the day. I don't know if you remember. We used to have the NBA champions and a few other club champions from Europe, and they always used to go in like a little – I think it was called the McDonald's Club Championship um, back in the early 90s. And it was an off-season though, but I remember like the Perth Wildcats went one year and played the Houston Rockets. And back in the day, the, the Celtics played against like I think – uh, split, which is Kukoc and all Croatia. that. Croatia, yeah, Split. Yeah. I watched that game, yeah. Yeah, so something like that because you talk about $75 billion, If you get Asian clubs involved, so you get some teams from China, the Philippines, maybe a t- couple of teams from Australia. I don't know what, how you do it. It's similar to like a, a Champions League for soccer. You might say, depending on where your league's ranked, you know, if, you're, if your league or your country's not, not ranked that highly, you get one team. If it's ranked high, you get maybe two teams. NBA maybe gets their top four. Play that in like a mid-season cup tournament somewhere. That'll bring in more than 75 being you get Asia, you get Asia involved. I I would actually like to watch that rather than this shit. Like a mid season NBA tournament with NBA teams, eh, couldn't care. But if you had like a two or three week block where it's like the Sydney Kings won it last season, or let's say Melbourne United, they go over and represent the NBL, a few Asian teams, a few Euro League teams, and then just battling, and then there's a there's a prize at the end of it, and, and players all get a bonus. I'd rather watch that than this. But um, just something I thought th- thinking about out loud. Um, 
And I know they used to do it, but obviously it's just not feasible these days. Yeah, I mean, maybe you, maybe you get the top four EuroLeague teams. You get the top, you know, the top two teams from China. From the like, so, so say the 2020-2021 season, you'll get the top four NBA teams. Then you get the top four EuroLeague teams. Then you get top team in Australia. Then you get, you know, uh, you talked about the Asian, talked about the EuroLeague. And then you get the United States and then you, you put it in a tournament like that. And then you have it played the next preseason. So let's be honest. Most of these EuroLeague teams, sometimes the players change, but they're still really good teams. And the same thing probably for Australia and, and China as well. So it's like, all right. So you play it in the preseason. Yeah. Maybe the NBA teams aren't like up to snuff as far as like they're not midseason form, but they'll still have their players. And then instead of playing like four exhibition games against teams, you don't fucking want them to see anyway. You play in like, you play in a centralized location, maybe every other year you play in the United States, but then you play in like, maybe you play in like, you know, uh, Barcelona and then you have all these teams come in and you play, you know, you play a tournament or you play a little round robin deal or a little pool play to a tournament, whatever you do. But I think I, I'd, I'd love to see that. That would be pretty good. Even though the NBA is stacked, like I think that NBA in preseason mode versus a team like Barcelona or, you know, which is my favorite international team, like you play against those guys who if you play it in October, you know, they're already been playing. They've already been through some, you know, they've already been through some, you know, through the training camp and ready for their season. Then they take like a two-week hiatus from their stuff and then they play in this or 10 days or so. I think that would be nice. That would be a pretty cool thing to watch. Yeah, totally agree. I, I just don't think it happened based on the NBA. Fuck Where, no. Wherever the NBA runs something, they have to run it. Um, EuroLeague's pretty protective of, of their brand. It'd be nice if everyone just came together and to figure it out. But the NBA, I know for a fact, won't won't ever allow anything of the sort. Maybe if it was just China, they'd love to do it because <laughs> that's where all their bread and Ah, for sure. But if it was everyone else involved, there's just so much logistically that I just don't think they'd bother doing. But an interesting one anyway. I'd, I'd love. To, I just want to see what this tournament is all about, and if it, if it goes ahead. Um, the planes copped a lot of shit when they were first reported and, and they actually ended up probably being the highest rated games in the playoffs funnily enough they were actually fun to watch but um, beyond that we don't know Patrick Beverly let's get back onto him obviously overstepped the line pushing Chris Paul his antics everything is starting to get played out a little bit he's one of those one of those guys though pro that'll I play with a couple of guys like this they'll they're really nice guys off the court um, he's supposed to be very godly and religious and all that kind of stuff um, doesn't swear and all that and then um, on the court he'll he'll knock you over intentionally and then be like oh my bad man and, and put his arm out to pick you up he's one of those guys and then he'll knock you down again purposely and then and then after like the third time you're like dude like stop saying you're sorry stop trying to pick me up you're doing the shit on purpose um He's, he's one of those guys, but look, you'd love to play with him, hate to play, hate to play against him, but I think he's overset the line with with just, I think he hurt, his, hurt himself a little bit with what he's done, uh, hurt his image. But some interesting comments I found um, that were from years ago, actually, it was Patrick Beverly told the Warriors Steph Curry the next five years are mine. So the Warriors basically owned the best part of the mid you know, 2010 to 2019, even maybe even earlier. So a five-year block where the Warriors owned everyone. Clippers were a part of that. We owned Beverly when he was with the Rockets and then with the Clippers. And he basically said, this was in 2019, 20, when the Warriors sucked with their record and had the injuries and weren't playing well. You know, we, we you, you had the last five years. We had the next you know, I have the next five where Steph Curry replied, aren't you 31 years <laughs> old? <laughs> but that just That's goes to one. show. So just playing off from that, I think, you know, he put a bit of a target on his back, put some pressure on himself. The Clippers haven't 
been there again. This is the second year where they haven't gotten to where they're supposed to be and where they're built roster wise to be. I guess this is this could have been one for fact and fake news that we don't have in. But will will Beverly get a championship with the Clippers, Pro? Willie, do you see that happening? I never want to say never. Every time I do, I mean, you know how I pick things, but like you never want to say never. Uh, but they they do have talent. They have enough talent to get there, you know, to sort of like be in the mix. And if you think that if Kawhi was there, that they probably would be there. You know, they got some bad luck with his injuries and things. I would say that they have a chance for sure. I wouldn't say they don't have a chance. Look, NBA players are going to always say shit just to say shit anyway. Um, they, they always have this false like – you know, they have this false confidence in themselves and sometimes it's a good thing for them because, you know, that's how they live with the, with that confidence. But they just say, you know, next five years of mine or whatever, that's a great fucking comeback by Curry though. <laughs> Aren't you 31? That's great. <laughs> but um, I think they have a chance, folks. It's, you know, they've got, a, they've got those two guys and they've got a decent roster on top of that. They just got to figure some things out. But I think they're going to lose some players too. Like, I think they're going to lose, they're going to lose Reggie Jackson. You know, somebody's going to give him I think he's on a minimum deal, if I'm not mistaken. I think somebody's going to give him 15 million a year based on what he did in the playoffs, you know, 12 to 15. And they're going to lose some firepower. So I, I think, I still think they have a chance to get through because they got those two guys. Like, I'll take those two guys over LeBron and AD. I'll take them over a lot of guys in the West, a lot of two man combinations as of now. So they do have the two-man combination. They do. I mean, they're in LA. They're always going to get some players. They don't really have many terrible contracts. So I think they have a chance. But his shtick, look, that's like we talked about it before. He's one of those guys you hate to play against, but you probably want him on your team. Although he does some wild shit that sometimes puts you on, you know, puts you on blast. But I think they'll have a chance. I just think that just like anything else, you know, they got to get what well, they got to get a little lucky too. They haven't been lucky in the last couple of years with their stuff. I'll just be interesting because of his comments, you know, he's, he's kind of put that bad juju out there. Like this is our next five years. Well, you're two years in and you're not there yet. So we'll watch that space. But um, everybody's going to have to go in hiding this off season, I think, and, and, and run it back and see what happens. And then obviously the Kawhi free agency decision is looming as well once again. So that could play a big factor. But Moving on to our friend, Rick Carlisle, I, I saw some interesting comments that we spoke about last week about um, him getting some shit for – Indiana Pacers getting some shit for the hiring process about it not being diverse and not being a proper uh, interview process. And um, Carlisle, of course, is the head of the Coaches Association. So I guess he was asked about it and the comments I found very interesting. It says every situation is different. Teams can hire who they want. That's their prerogative. In general, we always are in favor of wide-ranging and diverse hiring processes. And this, all I could think about was your comments last week. <laughs> all this shit's really important until it factors down to you being involved or until it hurts you. Yes. And this is, that quote, like, encapsulates all of that right there. Agreed. I mean, it's $29 million. So, if it doesn't affect you, you don't care. And you're going to say whatever is right to say, Right. But then when it comes down to you getting $29 million or you not getting $29 million, I mean, he would have got it anywhere and, and somewhere else. But, I mean, that's the thing. Like, if it's not about you, you don't give a fuck. And, you you know, you, you, you'll just go with the crowd and saying, yeah, you know, diversity, diversity. But then when you're on the spot of, hey, this $29 million, whatever. It's, it's interesting, folks, though, because if they were going to hire him anyway, why not do what every NBA team does? They've, they, they interview the woman that they're not going to hire. 
be, but they want to do it because now they could be the first person, you know, first team, quote unquote, to have a finalist and as a woman and, and get that po- positive publicity like teams like to do. And then why not, hire, you know, interview uh, as many minority candidates as they can to keep Mark Spears off their backs and, you know, all these <laughs> other people. And then you hire. That shit backfired on Portland, though. It no doubt. On Portland. No doubt. We'll <laughs> talk about that later. But like, look, they're full of, they're, they're as full of shit as anybody. You know, th- these NBA teams, they don't care. Like, they know who they're going to hire. Hell yeah. But then they, they got to go through this process. Yeah. Oh, so, look, why not just say to Rick, say, look, Rick, we're going to hire you, but we got to interview everybody else. You're done. You're in. You're you're good. But we got to hire. We got to talk to all these people just to make people happy. Just do what all <laughs> NBA teams do. Like, you know, all these oh, NBA teams don't give a fuck about this shit. They don't. They don't. Because if they did, they would have hired a woman by now. They would have hired this by now. But they don't. But they want to please everybody and say, look, we got to go through the motions. I hate that shit. Look, like, just like I said with Minnesota, Minnesota hired their guy. That's who they wanted to hire. You know, they don't have to give anybody a chance. If they want to hire this person, they, you know, you put down $4 billion for a fucking team or $2 billion for a fucking team, you could hire whoever the fuck you want to hire. And that's the truth. Amen. And yeah. no one's going to tell you that. Managing $40 million athletes. <laughs> like... You want someone that, It's unbelievable. Yeah, like you're not going to, like we said, I mean, just the irony of Rick's comment about him saying teams should be, you know, they should have their own process as they see fit when, yeah, you know, the, the comments were the complete opposite when he was in Dallas, you know, about about um, equality and hiring and having diversity in the process and all that kind of stuff when, you know, it's just an interesting one. And, and just to close this off, the Pacers have actually finalized a deal to hire Hawks coach Lloyd Pierce as Rick Carl's top assistant coach. So this was someone that Rick Carl was very vocal about because remember Lloyd Pierce um, coached Atlanta to a shitty record, but he did turn the state of Georgia blue in the um, you know the presidential race. So he has actually hired him. So I wonder if uh, Indiana will turn blue. I, I, I really that's going to be a tough ask, pro Indiana turning um, Democrat. <laughs> but if it does, I don't see that happen. If it does, uh, Lloyd Pierce is worth his weight in gold. But I hope Rick has hired him for his basketball prowess and not his political prowess. That'll be my one word of advice there. But moving on from that, it did backfire for the Portland Trailblazers. So for those that don't know, we touched on it a couple of pods ago. Check those out. They went through a, a process and Becky Hammond was was one of the candidates. He reportedly was a finalist. Um, they ended up going with Chauncey Billups. So then that has now you know been pretty toxic the last couple of weeks for for Portland. I don't know if you saw the press conference pro with with Neil O'Shea and and um it was Neil O'Shea right? I got that right. It wasn't Red Auerbach. Yeah, it was Neil O'Shea. Okay, it was um, Neil O'Shea and Chauncey Red <laughs> and, and Chauncey. That's good. One. And it was. There was some just constant prodding about Chauncey's historical uh, sexual assault allegation. Wasn't charged. Make that clear. Allegation. And I think more got poured on it as well because of the fact that there was a woman candidate as well. So Portland is the probably the the mecca for social justice warriors that want to um, dig up people's pasts and, and get them fired and cancelled and all that kind of stuff. And I think... The Trailblazers have felt the wrath of that and by trying to do the right thing by having having a diverse process to hire somebody, pro. Yeah, and of what I've heard, they were split. The you know, Neil O'Shea wanted Chauncey the whole time. He he didn't care about any other candidate. That's what we wanted to hire. And the uh the owner, she wanted to hire uh you know, Becky Hammond. So they were at a standstill of who to hire, and you know, she sided you know, she sided with him at Eventually, so like most teams who go through the pro, you know, go through the motions. Just because now the owner wanted her, I would say it wasn't through the motions because I think she had a legitimate chance at it. 
it's interesting though you never really see the like the owner really hot to trot for somebody to to hire somebody and then the gm especially one that's not on solid ground especially in the last year or so like you know they go with his decision instead of hers that was pretty interesting yeah i mean this whole thing man like you know, chauncey and I, we talked about the chauncey thing last week so we won't really go through it again but like that and then the becky hammond thing who to hire it's just it's a complete fucking shit Do you show think we get to a point yeah. where teams don't announce the candidates like just to because the positive for candidates most teams do this as a as a favor to candidates like hey look you're, you're third on our list but we want to give you an interview you're an up-and-coming coach we probably you know unless you hit it out of the park with us but we still want to interview you and shoot the shit a little bit and that's how it usually works in this league you know head assistants will finally get a chance to interview then angus in the media it helps their brand and then maybe two years later they're a head coach somewhere else you think teams get to a point where they're like you know what we're not going to release our interview process we're not going to release who we're interviewing and we want to keep it confidential i know we did with the sydney king we kept all our, our candidates confidential but that wasn't for any specific reason we just wanted to keep it confidential because we you know a couple of people were currently employed at the time and had contracts and and yeah. we didn't we didn't want to kind of have leverage you know a few of our other candidates potentially thinking you know what's going on you know but we we went through a, a pretty long process but we, we 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 kept it confidential but do you think teams just get to a point where they're like no nah, we're not releasing shit no because everybody likes to leak you know it used to be like you know sort of the the people like eighth and ninth and the totem pole leaked everything just to get their name out there. But now every every GM and coach for the most part, either either the GM or the coach leaks, if not both, you know, just to get just to get sort of some protection. So, you know, they're gonna leak. And so I don't think that I, I think they might want to try to not like let it out there, but it's gonna get out. And if it's not gonna be the team, it's gonna be you know, it's going to be the person who talked to the team. They're going to leak. Like, I just think it's almost impossible to do anything as a team and not get it out there, you know, in the media. It's a tough one. Someone's always going to leak it. But what I'm saying, yeah, I mean. I think it's, I think you're right, folks. I think that's like to just to keep your, like, keep you safe. Like, just talk to, talk to who you're going to talk to. Don't let it out there. And then you just decide who you got. And then you can tell people like, yeah, we spoke to 10 people. You know, we spoke to, and then we spoke to three women and, and they were in the process and they were, they were in the final, you know, the final five or six and, and do all this stuff. And then you could tell them later, but it just, you just can't, like, it sounds good not to leak things, but everything gets out. Everything gets out. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could put, put, put a caveat on an interview candidate and say, you know, we want to keep this confidential and if they leak you've kind of figured out that they're not trustworthy anyway and that's kind of the mindset we had with what, why we did it was if there is a leak we don't care where it came from but then you, we know you're not our guy if, you, if you're not trustworthy and you can't cross that bridge <laughs> it's a pretty, yeah. pretty easy decision but watch that space and see how it goes but yeah I don't, I don't think much is going to change just being the devil's advocate around NBA teams I think it, it gets leaked by agents and GMs and, and, and a lot of it's used for leverage too like hey I've got this interview this team over here wants me as a head assistant you better pay me home team that I'm with right now or you better bump me up to the front of the band, you know, it's, everything is used as leverage these days, and that's probably the most powerful thing in pro sports. But no, and then and then you get these fake offers too, where like you know this GM because you both are rep by the same agent. They don't really have an opening, but they say we're going to hire you as associate head coach when there's really nothing in the works for you. And then the team goes, "Holy shit, yeah, we got to hire this fucking guy because we don't want to lose him because you know Golden State's going to hire him for a position they don't even have." And then they like, "Oh, right, we're going to keep him," and then you find out a month later that there was no offer in the first place. That's sort of that's sort of a game that they like to play too. So 
Yep, all about leverage. Did you end up seeing the post, Michael Carter Williams? I don't know if you saw this, but it was pretty funny, so I thought I'd put it in. Hi. There was a post that he made on his, uh, I guess, of him shooting, and he looks like he looks like he's eaten some dumbbells and some weight plates. Shit. Like he's ripped at, out of this world, so people can look that up. Your man Mo Bumba, though, made a comment under it that said, um, "Oh boy, this N N word, which you know I'm not going to say. Obviously, everyone knows what uh-huh. this guy. Let's say this guy about to get us all drug tested. And the funny thing was, <laughs> Michael Carter Williams had said, "No lie, bro. I just got a call saying they're coming to the crib tomorrow." So <laughs> they came, and he actually tweeted, he actually posted a photo of the drug tester showing up to his house the next day because he looks. Yeah, you look at him, you're like, "Oh, we're sending a drug tester out to see you, buddy." <laughs> <laughs> just a funny one for people to look at because he looks he looks like he's ready to go UFC not not NBA that's incredible yeah just a funny that, one that's incredible yeah he looks like Devo from Friday for God's yeah. sake though I mean he looks fucking jacked yeah he looks he, I'm not messing with him but that's for sure NCAA Pro big big huge news really hundreds of thousands of college athletes around the country will be free to exercise their new marketing rights starting tomorrow following an NCAA rule change approved Wednesday afternoon so they're basically saying that starting at midnight Thursday college athletes nationwide will be able to do commercials endorse products collect money for autographs and more without having violated the NCAA rules. This new policy recommended early in the week is seen as a temporary solution until the federal government adopts nationwide legislation or the NCAA codifies more permanent regulations, bro. That is that is huge because there's so many athletes that aren't doing that well that are in numerous sports that can now, you know, look to go to college and not live you know, poorly by 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 everyday standards. Um, now, there's still people that will say, well, suck it up. You're an athlete. You're a big name. You'll make it pro eventually. But there's a lot of players that don't. There's a lot of football players that are really good in college, don't make it as pros. It's the same with basketball. Numerous, there's the smaller sports, lacrosse and soccer and volleyball and whatnot. So, I think this is a good move. I think it's also, you know, they're trying to put out a few fires. People, you know, there's a lot of stars that just aren't even bothering going to college anymore they, they're going straight from high school to the elite league to the to the, the the g league they're going to um you know europe they're going to australia so i think this possibly brings some some more players back to home soil and the college system you know people out there it's not gonna not every athlete is gonna get big money you know if you're a 12th man on a basketball squad you're not going to be doing endorsement deals but you know um, i think this is going to be interesting and, and how they manage it pro is going to be interesting because there's there's strict rules around boosters basically getting involved so i'm not sure how that factors in with all this because you could be recruiting a player and just say a booster could say hey man come to my car dealership four times in your freshman year and you get a million dollars well that's is that technically still cheating or is that is that part of the marketing stuff? So now there's a big slippery slope that they've opened up and I'm just not sure how they're going to knuckle down and rule this. I got a couple of things to say on it. Like, first of all, athletes shouldn't get paid by the university itself. Like that, that idea, we've talked about the finances, about what goes into the NCAA. A lot of money goes in, but a lot of money goes out to as far as splitting it with, you know, with universities that make tournaments. They don't touch the bowl games. You know, that's, they don't have really have anything to do with it, but like most of the money is going to be on football and basketball. And then they got to split the money up and, you know, all these other sports have to get paid for. But the idea behind having players be able to do things off their likeness, I think it's a great idea. I think the NCAA and, and the old school people always say, look, 
the definition of a student athlete is someone who doesn't get paid for anything. And I understand that if that, if that, if you're an old school and you're, you're, you know, that's your cause of, of having, you know, student athletes compete, but not get paid. I understand you want to keep that sort of as pure as you can. We know college sports ain't pure. We know 80% of the schools at least are cheating on some level or another, at least. And that's probably a, a low number, right? But having them the giving them the ability to go out there and get money look first of all the NCAA couldn't stop teams from cheating anyway even when they weren't paying players so now it's just another way that, that teams can cheat you know through agents and through boosters and through these people and that, those people so don't worry about it it is what it is it's going to get done what I would do if I was the NCAA is I would say look like I would have given up this fight a couple years ago and be like look here's what we'll do likeness fine go out and make as much money as you want we won't really regulate it all that much but no more zero and duns or ones and duns you got to stay at least two years look if you're a big time player and you could sp- you know, like the big thing is hey we're losing all this money you know like we're not going to the nba and we're staying in college if we have to stay a year or whatever we're losing out on this one check well now Look, we know the great players are going to get paid. We know the you know the not so great players aren't going to get paid. But like if if you're a big time player now, you could probably look. Masterpiece Son just signed a, a sponsorship deal for two million dollars over four years. He's getting five hundred grand a year, and he plays at Tennessee State. Now I'm sure the relationship with the dad had a lot to do with it. But I mean, you could find. You know, Barstool Sports just opened up a, um, you know, a, an agency for college kids to, to, you know, they're going to give them merchandise and they're going to, they'll probably give them, a, you know, a split of the merchandise and they'll give them some things here and there. Everyone's getting in on it. So I would have like tried to, you know, used a little bit of leverage to say, look, we'll give up this fight. Like two years ago, we'll give up this fight, but you're going to have to stay for a couple of years to make the game better, make the college game better. It, college is a shit show. It's a fucking complete shit show. But look, I'm, I'm happy with these kids being able to do that. You know, I, I just don't think they should be getting paid by the school. If you're going to get paid by your likeness to, you know, car dealership, um, fast food chain, a shoe deal, yeah. With, yeah. credit card, whatever. Yeah, go ahead. That's your likeness. It's your name. But let's be honest, though. Like, be, everybody doesn't want to admit, folks. Yeah, you need the players to make the NCAA great. But the NCAA gives these kids... Like, do you want to play in Spain, China, you know, Canada to get, you know, and before you go to the pros and have to build your brand there? Like, these college teams gives these guys an unbel- and, and women an unbelievable opportunity to, like, market themselves on TV, playing for the university that they already have this fan base. They already have the league that they're, they're in, their conference that they're in. There's a lot of fanfare. Like, People want to say the NCAA is pimping these kids out. They're not really pimping the kids out. You know, it's a sort of a two-way street. Yeah, the NCAA makes a lot of money off the backs of these kids. But let's be honest. So if all these kids go pro and somebody's got to go to Alabama to play football and you don't think there's still going to be 75, 85, 95,000 people that are going to want to watch Alabama football, even if they have lesser players because most of them don't go to college. I think it's a two-way street. I do like the, the idea that they can make money. And but they they're not going to regulate it. It's just going to be the wild wild west well, for it's, sure. It's, it's over. The, the NCAA rules are falling by the wayside. Um, they were obviously. I think they were overly strict at times um, with some stuff. Like I said, uh, Rick Majerus bought Keith Van Horn a dinner after his father passed away and got sanctioned. Like 
you know, that's just ridiculous. So they needed some tweaks. Uh, I think this is going to open a big, you know, a big flood of just doing what you want. So it'll be interesting to see how the NCAA even polices this. And there's actually been calls pro for, you know, guys now to go back historically um, that have been sanctioned for taking money for endorsements or whatnot to have their names washed. Um, there's UNLV running Rebels. Was it running Rebels? No, sorry, Michigan. Yeah, Michigan, you know, the Fab Five that, that lost their banners. Do they get them back? Um, there's a, there's Who was the football player um, back in the day? That Reggie t- Bush. Reggie Bush, sorry, I missed that. Yeah, Reggie Bush. So there's, there's the calls now. Do they, get, do they get a wash? I don't think they should because the rules stood at the time. No. Um, it was what it was. You got caught cheating and, and, and move on. But it'll be just interesting to see if they get if they get a big pool of players back now. You know, there's that Master P deal you mentioned, like you said, four years, $2 million, right? What happens if he drops out of college next year? You know what I mean? So there's, there's a lot of different mm. things. And, and I think you made a good point on, on you know, pe- people are talking about these big deals. And like, like we said, that that's going to be one or two guys max on each team that are getting these deals. College still provides an education and a good environment for four years for other kids that aren't going to be pro athletes. And that's not... 99.9% of guys and girls, right? So there is a, a lot of uh, schools providing that and giving you a chance to then network with boosters and people in that college town and be able to get a job after, you know, your said sport. So it does bring a lot of perks, but I think, yeah, just just cleaning it up a little bit, getting players some access to a little bit of extra money while, while the schools are making that big money was a no-brainer. I think they've just gone full. They've probably gone over the line now and it, yeah, it's, it's bring, your, bring your revolver and get on your horse. It's going to be the wild, wild west. <laughs> yeah. I think I think like the average athlete though, Bogues, if they hustle, that they can go out in their town and do all these ads and stuff, and at least they can eat for free. They can get geared up. They can go to like a, you know I don't know Foot Locker, whatever that is. If, it, if they haven't been looted and burned down in their college town, but if they you know if they go to like all these other places and they could get free stuff, they can get free clothes, free food. You know, at least that's most of the athletes what they're gonna do. Most of these athletes aren't going to make money. You know, Alabama, Auburn football, North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky basketball, Louisville. There's going to be a bunch of them, you know, that there's going to be two or three players really making out on this. But most of these players aren't going to make a lot. But you could actually like, hey, look, you don't have to pay for food for four years that you're in school. You know, just do these ads. Of course, like if I'm the pizza place or an Italian restaurant in town and I want the linebacker in my team, even if it's at like Miami of Ohio, like doing an ad or, or, or signing some autographs and I just give them, you know, unlimited food or whatever. Like, yeah, it's not, it's a win-win, right? So that's majority of the deals you're going to see, you know, but like these players, like they, again, like same thing with NBA players and organizations. They think they're always, they're getting fucked and, and these guys are making money off of them. It's a two way street. Everybody's fucking each other. Like teams with the players, players with the teams, like, you know, whoever, if you got leverage, you screw the other person. Let's be honest. And that's how it is. But hey, look, good for, good for these guys. They want to come out and do it. It's just another way to cheat. It's another way to get boosters to give kids money. Go ahead. It's fine. I just don't think it's a good idea for the schools to give the kids money because then you're gonna you're gonna bankroll you're gonna bankrupt the whole system. At least now it's on the companies and stuff. But you know, it's interesting though. Like so, say like Nike wants to sign the top thirty players in college. And they got to give them good money, right? They got to give them 500 grand or whatever they're going to give them. I don't know if there's a max or whatever. How does that go for the NBA players? Like, especially the guys that are getting those 100000 or $50,000 deals. 
I wonder how many of those go away because they get a budget for the college kids. Oh, that's that's but they've been dropping anyway, pro. As you know, like they've been. Yeah. There was a time where where Nike looked at, at having everyone in their gear, um, even like mid tier guys. When I first came to the league, and now they've dropped off. They're basically like we, we've got our max pool of guys that sell shoes, and then everyone else and everyone else they might give you, hey, we'll, we'll give you fifty grand worth of gear and maybe a few bonuses in there for some cash, but we're not really giving you much cash. And that's the majority of players now. It's, it's gone. It's turned on its head. They've they've really reinvested heavily into their marquee elite guys and the rest get kind of the scraps and, and that's a valid point you know now you're moving another 30 40 50 um, player contracts to to college and then who knows potentially there's going to be rules i assume you can probably do this in high school now too right pro is is that have they mentioned no that? not yet but it'll trickle it'll trickle down why can't you do it in it'll high school trickle down. is that because it's against ncaa rules or high school rules it's probably against high school rules to take gifts to play or to do that. No, no, no. But what I'm you saying know, is, if you're already playing for a high school, let's say you're LeBron James, you're playing, you're already playing in high school. You're two uh, years away from graduating. Back then, you couldn't take a deal because it would affect your college eligibility. But right now, what's to stop you getting a marketing deal to say, "Hey, I'm signing a five year deal with this school, regardless of where I go. My Nike deal goes with me." That that could be the next ladder that opens up as well. Yeah, I think definitely down the line. But like, it's the same thing. Like overtime elite, right? Is it overtime elite? I forgot. The, um, yep. It's the same thing. If you sign there, you can't go to college. So I think it, it, you still have eligibility that you got to protect. And then once you go to college, I think you could start doing it. So not yet. I, I agree with you. I think in, yeah, in no the next couple though. of years, you'll, you'll, yeah, you'll, start, no doubt it isn't. No doubt it isn't. But I think they do have the amateur deal now where they can't do that. Within the next couple of years, I guarantee you'll see it happen. Yeah, interesting. They'll start signing these fucking kids out of the womb. That's what I mean. Like, you just, like, see yeah. a seventh grader that's, like, the man. Like, he's, like, here, 20 year That's what the Euros used to do, like, 20-year contract. That's what the European agents used to do. That they, Well, they still do to this day. They'll go to poorer areas or, or places in Europe where there's there's a lot of talent. I'll see a kid like a Giannis or a Luka Doncic at 12, 13, be like, hey, you're yeah. my guy. You're signing a, basically a lifetime deal with me. I'm funding you shoes. I'm giving you a place to live. Your rights are with me for life, basically. And there's there's arguments for and against that because the agent's taking a huge risk because that player could not pan, not pan out. But then in those rare cases that player does pan out, he's stuck with you know a lifetime contract with that agent basically or has a massive buyout. If you want to leave me, you owe me the agent ten million or whatever it is. And it happens mainly with soccer players, but it has happened with a few friends I know that were just stuck with deals and had to pay their way out of them. And that's that's similar to this. And you know these brands could just come in at an early age and just hedge their bets and just be like, hey, we're just going to give all these seventh graders that are top thirty in the country, we're going to give them small deals like for 10 years you know 150 200k that could potentially happen as well so they're, they're, like you said if you open all that up it's just going to be absolutely crazy yeah it's great it's nuts it's just fucking world's coming to an end <laughs> it almost is yeah we're almost there um nbl news yeah. really quickly perth, the perth wildcats sold to a man named craig hutchison pro so a fellow big bone gentleman in, in your club nice He's a media mogul here. He owns a radio station by the name of SEN, which is equivalent to an ESPN sports talk network here in Australia. They do they do racing, like horse racing. They they tell about anything any sport is done through SEN. They have a bunch of talk shows. They have all those talking heads on there, different shows. So he's involved in that. He was a minority holder or, or equal majority holder with Melbourne United which is the interesting caveat in all this. The statement, which was a comment given by him in the release, basically says Hutchison last night stood down as co-chairman from Melbourne United ahead of the acquisition, but said the business has proposed to dilute or divest its stake in Melbourne United. So his business being, you know, the SEN or whoever is the holder of SEN. But some tricky wording in there, it says proposed 
propose to dilute mm. or divest. So it doesn't mean he's getting rid of those shares. And I know Perth is um, one of those cities pro. They're two hours behind us in time difference, but they're 20 years behind Australia and everything else. Um, shout out to my fans <laughs> in Perth. We give them a little bit of shit, but they're very proud of their Perth Wildcats. They don't like the East Coasters, which is Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane. And now you've got a guy that's Melbourne born and bred, lives in Melbourne, owning the Perth Wildcats, and potentially still having shares in Melbourne United. It could cause a bit of problems over there, pro. Yeah, I mean, that that is a little bit tricky and a little bit sort of, you know, it's a head scratcher if you're not, it, it, you know, most people will just miss it, you know, and not highlight that. And yeah, it's a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hope he sells. Why do you think? I hope he sells. Like, yeah. And I'm part of the ownership group and I will tell him this and the owner, you, you, need to, you need to sell that share and get rid of it completely in Melbourne United just to keep some transparency in the league. I, I think owning two clubs is just not – It's it leaves a lot to be questioned when two teams are playing and then you bring the integrity of the league into question at times and, and people can kind of guess what's going on and, and make things up that probably aren't there because there's some smoke there. So I hope he gets rid of them, but, you know, you never know what, what, what's going on with all that. No question. Yeah, that, that is a little bit tricky. Hopefully, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want somebody in, with stake in two teams. So I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see where that goes. But that, they've been they were reportedly for sale for a couple of years, and, and they've got a, an owner there, former owner Jack Bendit, who's an unbelievable patron of basketball down in that in that area of the country, and did a lot of great things for the Wildcats and, and built them into a into a powerhouse. So we um. You know, send our congratulations to what he's done for the game, but getting up there in age. So I think moving away completely and the family and the kids that weren't, you know, obviously in the trust didn't want anything to do with it. So they've moved on from that. The national team has been named pro. The Australian Boomers have been named. I got the names to me yesterday, but I've just saw on socials they've been confirmed. And, and the list I had was actually right for a change, which is um, which is always a good start. But I'll run through the names right now. This is a 12 going to the Olympics. Now, the reason why it's been named also pro is they had to give a 12 for the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, and the AOC, the Australian Olympic Committee. They had to actually nominate their team. Uh-huh. This can change based on injury, or you could just play a cheeky one if you wanted to swap someone and say, well, our guy's hurt, we have to swap him, but it should only be injury. So the 12 is Patty Mills, Matthew Delvadova, Joe Ingles, Aaron Baines, Matisse Thibel. All those guys, to, in my opinion, were, were, were no surprise. They were locks. Dante Exum, Josh Green, Nick Kay, Jock Landale, Chris Goulding, Duop Reith, and Nathan Sobey have all made the squad. So a, a glaring omission here is Josh Giddy. The other three are omissions, Xavier Cooks, Brock Modem, and Mitch Creek. Mitch Creek now reportedly was um you know, in a bit of trouble here in the media again with with certain different with certain different things, and I'm led to believe that he was he was basically told by the federation. You know, the the, the team was told by the federation we don't want this guy in the squad. Is is what I've heard. But the other three were were based on on play. Um, to me, the Josh Giddy one stands out. Um, I love Nathan Sobey, who I assume was the last the twelfth the twelfth man picked above Josh Giddy. I will go on record as saying I think today Nathan Sobey is a better player than Josh Giddy, but Josh Giddy is the future of the boomers. So I scratch my head with this one. I don't think it's going to be the Ala Ben Simmons, which we'll get to shortly, where he got cut early in his career and hasn't played since. I don't, I don't think I don't think that's in Josh's DNA. But my argument would be to bring him as a 12th man and let him experience that boomers culture, which is a unique culture, and let him experience all that because he's going to be now building it for the next you know decade, decade plus. So, but uh, you can't you can't fault Sobe getting in over him. Because, like I said, he's a better player today, but maybe a bit of bit of strategy and some forward thinking. You'd probably put Josh in the squad. What do you think? I mean, he's going to be the face of your franchise if your national team. I just not to have him on the team and able to sort of get that experience, even if he's not going to play a lot. 
you know, and just to get there. It's interesting that they don't have him there. Even with his play, like he's still the best young player in your program. You know, depending on the age you're talking about, of course, but... Oh, he's 18 years old. Yeah. He's a baby, you know, so the argument they'll have is, well, he's going to have plenty under his belt already, but that experience is invaluable. And Shane Heal has spoken about a few times, and I've discussed it with him. He went to, I think his first Olympics was Barcelona in 92, and he didn't play a lick, right? But he said uh-huh. he went over there and, and was just experienced that culture and it made him want to be part of it, number one, and get on the court and work better to strive for the next Olympics. And also just learning from those veterans about what it, what, what it meant to be a boomer. And that's, you know, like I said, no no issue with Nathan, Nathan Sobey making it talent, talent on, based on talent, but the longevity of your program, which isn't, you know, arguably isn't Brian Gorgian's concern and, and, and it shouldn't be. You know, his concern is my best team I need to go and take mm-hmm. to try and win a medal. But someone from Basketball Australia, you know, there needs to be a conversation had about this is a kid that's, like you said, just going to be the future. So you want to kind of make sure that relationship is is decent. Like I said, I don't think Josh is going to be one of those guys that takes his toys and goes home. You never see him again. But it could have provided a lot of a lot of positives, I think, for the program. Do you think by any chance the agent wanted to keep him out? No. But like why they want to keep him out? No, I mean, it's no, just no. weird that they don't have him. It's just weird they don't have him. I mean, he's- They wouldn't have taken him. He, he reminds me of like the Ricky Rubio in Spain, like- Back when Ricky was a you know fifteen year old kid, sixteen year old kid, and you just a guy like that. I mean, a you don't know how good he's going to be. I mean, you know, but he's going to be the face, so you want to showcase him. I just it's interesting, but like you said, it's not the coach and the person in charge of picking the team. Probably is just worried about winning games, but still, like not to have him as one of your even at the end of the bench to have him to get those few minutes and that experience and you know, soak up that culture of like, you know, soak up the Olympic experience. But hey, it's interesting. Hey, was Sobey on our original list? I don't have him on my original yeah, list. Yeah, he wasn't the original list yet. Oh, no, sorry. He wasn't actually. He was he was added later on because um someone was, <laughs> was, was taken off the list due to injury. I think they added him maybe when Brokoff. Someone pulled out um, about a month ago and they, they put him into into that squad. So he wasn't on either of our lists early on because he wasn't on the list and they put him on kind of... So kudos to him. I mean, he wasn't on the initial squad of yeah. 20-something and then has has made his way. So we congratulate him. Um, but but like I said, I, I don't I don't think that's a big minute role and I, I would always go to the younger guy. It's a conversation I had with um, Brian Gorgian in 2006 going to the World, World Championships. We had Paddy Mills. It was his first Boomers camp and, and he, he wasn't the player he is today. He wasn't very offensive orientated back then with our national team at least but he was picking up full court and, and you could see he was going to be the future of the program right and he was one of the last cuts and we took a couple of um you know role-playing veteran guys and oh you know i told gorge i thought i thought we should have put him in that squad because he was going to be part of it and, and thankfully everything worked out and patty's been part of it ever since but sometimes those decisions with the national team they're tough to have like your federation might say this is our future you need to put him in the coach might say well I don't think I'm winning a medal with that guy as a backup. Um, so it is a tough conversation, but I think Josh Giddy, he's going to be a top 10 pick um, from all, all reports that I hear, at least top 15. I think you just got to, you got to find a way to have him in that squad and, and um, just one of those things that you got to, you got to deal with, I guess. But he can still make the squad people. So Josh Giddy, Xavier Cooks and Brock Motum are still part of a squad of 15. 
they, they round out that squad. They they will go to Las Vegas and play against um, the Team USA in these games next next couple of weeks in the friendlies. And like I said, if there is an injury, one of the replacements can get bumped up. So the door's not completely shut. We saw that last last year. Xavier Cooks did his knee um, right before we took off. And then we brought in Mitch Creek to replace him who got cut the week before. So you just never know what can happen. And my advice to Josh Giddy, Xavier Cooks and Brock Modem is obviously stay positive and be be a good teammate because you just you just don't know what's going to happen as, as we've seen in the NBA Pro with injuries. No doubt. And thank God Sobey wasn't on that list because if I would have picked him, it would have been a fucking nosedive for his whole career. So, you know, kudos to the person who didn't put him on the fucking list. It saved that kid's career. Poor, poor prick. Career saver. Yeah. One thing I, I found interesting from a couple of weeks ago, so the head coach of the Nigerian national team, who the reason why I'm talking about it, they are actually in Australia's pool. They are a guarantee, they are already through. So they, they uh. have, they have Mike Brown as, as their coach. He started, he started his training camp. Get this, bro. He had 49 players at the camp. Of course. 49 players. Like, where do you, st- <laughs> where do you start with 49 I players? I know my, my former teammate, Fester Cezili, he was one of the cuts, unfortunately, but I mean, Jesus, 49 players in a camp. I, I wouldn't know where to start, bro. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I mean, you could start an army with 49 people. I mean, that's, that's a lot of fucking people. I got nothing for you on that one, brother. That's a lot of fucking people. You get one rep to make a shot <laughs> per practice. Yeah. You play, <laughs> you play a game of knockout to get it down to 39. Yeah, I mean, it's I, unbelievable. I saw that. It was 49 players and I was, I was scratching my head like that. Kudos to those coaches because they would have, they, number one, they would have had to find a facility that had eight courts to get through anything half reasonable at, at, at training. And then I would, I would bet my house, Mike Brown did not remember everyone's name at that camp. Like there's no, <laughs> that's, no that, that's chance. A lot of they, they are down to 13. I'm not going to name their squad, but um, they, they haven't announced it officially, but I believe they're down to 13. And they will be in the Boomers um, pool. So a very, very, a team that we are watching closely bro oh yeah let's let's watch it shit that's a fucking that's an nfl team bogs 49 fucking people i i I have no idea how they how they got through things and how they did things that's a a lot of people there was the camp was in california too so they would have to fly a bunch of players i mean a lot are american based and there is a a lot of good players um they're going to be tougher than people think they have a lot of a lot of nba talent in there that have decided to play a few people with nigerian a few players with nigerian heritage that might necessarily i don't even know if they've stepped foot in nigeria before have have also (laughs) been eligible to play as well so that that's kind of how it goes with the national team we see it with a bunch of different countries you can if you have descent you can kind of get a a way in to play for your national team and I, I don't have an issue with that if you've got first first generation descent but if it's like 10th generation you're like oh it's a bit you know we're clutching at straws here a little bit but um that's the way it's gone with the fever game no doubt no doubt all right get comfortable i've got a, a long story for us pro nice. so a lot of people have asked a lot of people have asked me around you know the ben simmons saga around the national team why isn't he playing why doesn't he want to play and, and all that kind of stuff and look i think there's a there's a there's a mix of reasons some have been injuries some have been form some have been just doesn't want to play but there's there's more there's more than meets the eye that there's and this 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 story that I'm going to kind of relay is it's multifaceted. It's going to bring in a lot of different things of how dirty the business is. And I, you know, I just want to give some context. I, I, I don't blame Ben Simmons for much of this because I think, you know, his people advise him and he's young and he's figuring out his way in the landscape, but there's a, there's a lot that's gone on. So we have to take this back all the way to 2014. 
this is before his his high school year, his final year in high school, I believe. He tries out for the 2014 World Cup World Championship squad. I wasn't part of that. I was rehabbing that ankle that was bothering me for years. So just one of those, one of those few camps that I missed with the national team. He uh, bends part of that. He he ends up getting cut. He's one of the last cuts. So a la, a la Josh Giddy, let's say, right? You're, you're an injury replacement guy. I believe he wasn't too happy with being an injury replacement and he bounced straight away. Um, didn't want to be a part of it anymore. Andre Lamanis was a coach at the time. He, he had some issues Oh, I guess just about taking Ben as a 12th man. He's the shining star, but can I have him as a 12th man that's not going to play minutes? Will he cause me issues in the locker room or should I bring a more veteran presence that, that he's okay with that role? And he elected to to not take Ben. And, and I would have argued back then and I've told Andre, I said, you know, you, you had to find a way to put him in that in that 12th man squad just to whether he causes problems or thinks, hey, why don't I get minutes? This is bullshit, blah, blah, blah. I don't care if you're assigned a full-time assistant coach to, to dealing with that, which is not what you want, but you got to kind of play the long game, right? This kid's going to be part of your future and, and not only part of your future, a potential number one pick. So that's where that relationship with Ben and Lamanis started on a rocky road. So he gets cut from that team, but we didn't know Ben was going to be a number one pick. We knew he'd be very good at that point and then goes and plays in high school. He then signs at LSU. In 2015, we try to get him to come back for the Oceania's qualifiers. So we played New Zealand back then in a three-game series, or a two-game series it was actually, um, to go to automatic qualification to the 2016 Rio Olympics. Obviously, he doesn't want to come, fair enough. And he was preparing for, I think he was finishing his college year to then prepare for the NBA draft. His high school tour, his high school, uh, not his high school, LSU Tour Australia, that year, I believe it was in 2015, uh, 15, 16, somewhere around there. And he comes out and they play a bunch of semi-pro and pro teams. A lot of colleges do this pro. They come out to Australia and they're, they're pre-preseason or their off-season. It gives them extra time with the NCAA rules to work out together, to get extra training sessions in because they legally can do more hours. Anyway, he comes out here and tours, I think, um, a bunch of Victorian um, teams. And I think they went up to New South Wales for a few games. But anyway, no one, reportedly, no one from Basketball Australia shows up to any of those, those games to at least you know, put their face in front of Ben. Hey, we're following you. Like, we'd love to have you back in the national team when the time is right. No one in, in a suit, essentially, none, none of your, none of your board members or people, CEOs or whatever showed up to those games to try and, you know, just, just say hello to him. So he noted that mentally. I wasn't too happy about it. So we, we move on, uh, you know, 2016 Rio. That was the year he broke his foot. He broke his foot in summer league, I believe. He was out for the whole year. Didn't play a whole year that first year as, as part of the, the trust the process as they were booting in Philadelphia. So obviously he didn't play in 2016, which is, you know, more than, more than fair enough. Obviously no issues there. So. 2017-18, there's no games. There's a bunch of FIBA qualifiers in, through the Asia Cup, which we send kind of what was dubbed the B team. Uh, we didn't need to send NBA players or whatnot because we we're basically blowing out teams over in Asia by 30, 40 points a night. It's just a new system that FIBA implemented. Anyhow, they get us qualified for 2019. So 2019, we're like, you know, is Ben going to play? We don't know. Around about March or April, I believe, um, Ben puts out an Instagram post with an Australian Boomers jersey in the background or him with it on. I can't remember. It was something like that and kind of alluding to i'm going to suit up so fans get pumped everyone's like he's gonna he's gonna finally suit up we've finally got him national team colors so us as players we're kind of we, we see it and we're like great you know it's, it's it's behind us he's finally going to join us this is this is good i find out that photo shoot was for visit victoria which is a state of victoria it was part of ben simmons signed a marketing deal to be the face of the tourism uh, Victoria, which is a big government arm to promoting Victoria to the world. Kind of a no-brainer for Victoria at the time. Your, your biggest athlete at the time just went number one in the draft, playing in America, kind of your face of your tourism, which which is what it is, right? Sure. 
So we hear he's playing and we're like, great, this is good. You know, Andre Lomanos obviously is starting to build a team uh, or squad to surround some talent around him and his talents. And then I think it comes around May or June, uh, he pulls out. He pulls out of the the World Cup. So pulls out, uh, I'm not going to play. I need to rest. I need to, you know, keep rehabbing my foot, whatever it was, right? And we're like, okay, disappointing, but cool. Like he's pulled out, you know, great. We can get on with life. I believe visit Victoria now, pro. We had we had two games scheduled in Melbourne and two games scheduled in Perth. Two games in Melbourne were against the USA team. Two games in Canada uh, in Perth were against Canada. Some context around these games in Melbourne. It was going to be played at a football stadium, so it was going to be fifty thousand plus people there. There was going to be seats on the on the grass. There was going to be it was just going to be a packed packed house. So some some seats weren't going to be great viewing, that, but you know that you're playing a basketball game in a football stadium, right? So context mm-hmm. around that is the posters for these games had um, leading up to the ticket sales had Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and maybe Steph Curry on them versus um, I think it was Ben Simmons, myself, and Joe Ingles and Maddie Delvedere or something like that. It was it was those those faces, right? So as the games mm-hmm. started to get closer to the date, I believe these games will. July, August-ish before, I think it was August actually, before we went to the World Cup in September. Kevin Durant pulled out, Steph Curry pulled out, you know, uh, LeBron James pulled out. So all the big names are pulling out. So there's a bit of politics involved here where that foot, you know, Victoria's heavily run with football in the AFL, Australian Football League. I know for a fact they didn't like that a basketball game was coming into town. It was going to draw a max capacity record crowd for a basketball game because you can don't forget you can get seats on the grass around the around the course. So it was going to be the biggest event ever in that stadium. It wasn't going to be an AFL game. That wasn't liked by some people. So all of a sudden you had people calling the radio station saying, I want a refund on my tickets. You know, this is this is bullshit. I want to see Kevin Durant. I want to see blah, blah, blah. And it was a real small number of people, right? So it wasn't a huge deal, but it, it made it made media waves. I've been sold a lemon, blah, blah, blah. So that all happens, right? But Ben, Ben's still playing. Um, I'm still playing. Everyone's still playing from the Australian team at that time. So people are like, you know what? It's still going to be a great spectacle. All right, it's not USA's A team, but it's still pretty close. Then Ben pulls out. So that goes public. It goes public that Ben's not going to not going to play in the 2019 World Cup, right? So Visa Victoria hears of this and they said, we've got you on all the marketing. I believe part of his deal was to play, obviously, in those games in Melbourne. Um, for the for the national team. So Visit Victoria is paying a bunch of money to him for tourism, promote Victoria, what's going on. They call Ben and you know they weren't too happy about it. Fans obviously have, have said, now nah, Ben's out as well. We want a refund. So so the government was getting some pushback from um from everyday people living in, in town. So um I guess we then get a call or the, or Basketball Australia then gets a call from Ben Simmons' camp, Rich Paul, Clutch Agency, I'm not sure who it was, <laughs> called uh, Basketball Australia and said, look, we um, Ben wants to play in the lead-up games but not the World Cup. So he wants to play in the, the two Melbourne games and potentially the two Canadian games in Perth. We knew Canadian games were out of the question. He was never going to play in those. It was going to be the, – the, the Melbourne games were very important to him. So – they call, you know, the leadership group and a few guys on the team and, and say, you know, um, Ben wants to play in these lead-up games but not come to the World Cup. So I was like, nah, it's like these are our games to prep us for the World Cup. We had two games in Melbourne, two in Canada, one friendly against Germany and China as we landed and then right into, right into the World Cup. Like these games are very important to us. We This was my take um, and, and most of the guys were in consensus with this. We need these games to prime ourselves, figure out rotations. This was the first time I'd come off the bench for the national team. So Andre Minas came to me and said, we're going to start a bit smaller with Aaron Baines at the five. We're going to bring you off the bench kind of mid-first quarter, you're still going to play 2030, but want to change things up a little bit. And we have to kind of figure out those clunks, what lineups work. We have five games pro to do that. So you throw Ben Simmons in that mix, 
our style of game completely changes. We need to get him in the open floor, more shooters around him. Can Ben and I play together? Not both non-shooters. You know, you have to surround more big man shooters. So everything changes, right? So we're like, no, you know, we don't think that's that's right. We we need to use these games so to better ourselves. I mean, that's fair enough, right, Pro? Mm-hmm. No doubt. Yeah. So anyhow, Andre meets with 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 most most of the leadership group, and we we all come to the agreement of look, these are these are our important games for us to win a medal so what's important is is it important for us to win a medal at games or to have ben honor his you know whatever basketball australia and visit victoria have agreed to and and everyone said no we we, we don't we, we we respect that he wants to be involved uh we'd love to have him at camp can be part of the camp and whatever but we don't we don't want him playing these games because they we just don't know how it's all going to work so andre uh Lamanis has a press conference at some time i'm not sure of the dates and just basically says you know, I was trying to like put the onus on Ben wanted to play, he wanted to do the right thing, but we, th- we feel like these games um, are very important to our squad's medal chances and preparation. So Andre was trying to play both sides and be like, I don't want to shit on Ben and hurt that relationship any further, but I also want to emphasize our guys are trying to be professional and make the right decision for getting a medal. So that all gets put out. Now, more people go public pro that are like, wait, so the head coach isn't letting Ben play. So, you know, we had a lot of uh, people coming to this game that aren't basketball fans. They would have no idea that these games were even lead up games to a World Cup. They just saw Australia versus USA, big names. I'm an influencer or a celebrity. I need to go to these games or it's the in thing to do these two nights of the week in Melbourne. So they get a lot more pushback publicly now. People are like, oh, now the coach won't let him play. Ben wants to play. That's bullshit. I want my money back. So refunds. So Victorian government sees this and they're like, well, this isn't good. This isn't good for Victorian government. This isn't good for Visit Victoria. What is going on? So holds been known. The Federation gets a call from the Victorian government pro. Now, <laughs> a bit of context, context around this. Victorian government under the Andrews government, um, who's still in government today, within the 2019 Victorian budget papers, so this is something in Australia that happens, they, they announce the budget about what they're going to spend on, all that kind of shit. The Victorian mm-hmm. government has budgeted $145.8 million into basketball, stadium infrastructure, and high-performance development to, to position Victoria as the basketball capital of Australia. So that's money to grassroots, that's money to, to kids' stadiums, that's money to more arena-type stadiums, that's just a great, great you know amount of money to help basketball in in, in Victoria. So, what do you think happens, bro? Uh, there's some chicanery. Uh, I'm just waiting for some fucking. Yeah, what do you what do you, you know, backdoor shit? So, I've just told you about how much money that, that they pledged back in 2019. What do you think the next step was from Victorian government? I don't know. That money must have went somewhere. Where did it go, brother? No, it didn't go anywhere. So, the call was given to <laughs> the call was given to Basketball Australia. It basically yeah. said this: If you don't let Ben Simmons play in these two games in Melbourne, that money's gone. We're not we're not giving it to basketball in Victoria. We're going to do our best to try to get that number down as close to zero as possible, and you will never get another dime from the Victorian government ever again. Damn. This is where I really respect Andre Lamanis. He he came to the group, told us the truth, said this is this is a situation we're dealing with. Um, I might get in trouble for him telling this story, but so be it because I think it, it needs to be told. He said we they've basically said that if we don't let Ben play in these two games. We're lo- we're losing funding for grassroots, and he said, "I can't have on my on my on my soul in my heart. I can't have that. I've taken away from young kids' development and from young kids getting better in this country, and I can't live with myself losing 145 million dollars for basketball in this country. So we need to figure it out how we're going to do this. But I'm 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 letting Ben play. So. I was pissed at the time because I was like, first off, that's bullshit by the Victorian government because I was like, hang on a second, does the Victorian government want us to win a medal at the World Championships because this is the best path we had planned out. But as I sat and kind of took a few deep breaths and a few swear words, I said, 
you know, this is commendable by Andrew Lamanis and the coaching staff. Very, very commendable because some hard head coaches still would have said, no, nah, not doing it. This, I'm trying to win. I'll resign. He said, look, we're going to figure it out. So then we then met about, okay, how, how can we figure this out? So every, so it doesn't affect our preparation. So like, let's, okay, let's say we have him in the squad. How, how do we figure this out? So we, we came to an agreement where with the players, we said, look, let's just play in the start of each half. 10 minutes first half, 10 minutes second half. Playing, it is what it is. The fans seem everyone's happy and let's treat those next 10 minutes of each half as kind of the regular rotations for um, for what the World Cup would be or things we can try to figure out on the fly. And then we have those Perth games. which We knew he wouldn't come to Perth because there was no there was no government deal to go to Perth. We knew he'd be gone by then. We'd play Canada and, and the rest would be all good, right? So we did that. We did that. It was slimy. It wasn't great by the Victorian government and I don't think this was a huge push from, from Ben himself. I think he was just kind of there and around and, and kind of left in, in the dark about all these dealings going on. I'm not sure if it was his family or his or his agent or whoever was was doing these these calls, but that that's the slimy world of what we're dealing with, right? So anyhow, we 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 agree to all this. We say no worries. I think you know we'd love to have you part of the squad first and foremost in any capacity, and let bygones be bygones. We know that you're not going to play in the World Cup. It hurts our prep a little bit, but. Let, let's put it behind us and hopefully you being involved in the squad and the next two games in Melbourne will then put you in better stead for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics and you build, build a bit of a bond with the guys. So we, we kind of treat it that way. You know what? It's not the best situation, but we'll try to make the best out of it and and build for the future and get some credit points with, with Ben and make him feel comfortable and, and show him how much we wanted to play for the national team and appreciate his talents and, and just make it easier for him, right? So that's not the end of it. So we wake up for the first day of training camp. There's some back and forth three or four days prior training camp, you know, we still hadn't got confirmation that Ben was accepting now these, you know, accepting of, of what we discussed back and forth and saying, okay, we'll let you play. We still didn't get a confirmation from his people saying, cool, done, he'll, he'll see you at camp. We still didn't get that yes or no. So we're, we're kind of, you know, our coaches are trying to put a practice plan together, figuring out what we're doing for training sessions. We still don't know if he's coming. So we're like, cool, whatever. So we don't hear anything from, from his camp about whether he's participating in the training camp. We go there on, I believe it was on a Saturday morning was the first day of camp, get on the bus to go to training. Ben's not on the bus. So we're like, okay, he must be out. So be it, whatever. We get there and he's there. Ben Simmons is at the at the facility. He participates in the session. He's, you know, somewhat engaged. He's t- participating in all the drills, you know, we're scrimmaging. He's he looks good out there, you know, he's he's doing doing what he's good at. He's splitting pick and rolls and dunking on people and being an absolute menace on on the defensive end and just just we're just like, holy shit, this guy like brings our national team to up a whole nother level. Like he's just just his intensity and athleticism, you know, we're not the most athletic team by any means, and that's kind of a not a strength of ours, but now you throw him in the fold with some fundamentally sound guys, some shooting, some bangers. Wow, like it's you're kind of seeing what it can all look like. So we go through that that session. He does well. He um does media. Everyone's kind of upbeat about it. Like you know, it is what it is. Who cares about the past? Let's just build this forward. There's a football game that night, and it's um Ben's going with his with his you know entourage of guys and 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 um agent friends and whatever and I think someone comes to us and says hey I, I think a few of the guys from the national team should should go and just just hang out and you know create some more bridges towards Ben and make him feel comfortable and so I think a few of the guys put their hands up for it I think Paddy might have been Delhi and a few other guys went to the football that night just trying to extend that relationship and build it fair enough so. We have a five or six day training camp. So um, they go there. Everything was great. They had a good time. And we show up for the training the next day. And it was the last time we had seen Ben Ben Simmons. So there was, you know, still some stuff in the media about whether he'd play or not. And I'm not sure what the decision making was around it, but just um, just left. 
went to, I think he believe he went to Sydney and did some stuff, a few camps that he had planned or whatever. But that's basically where that relationship stopped. And it was, it's just such an unfortunate um, situation for a lot of people. I mean, Andre Amanis ultimately is now the former coach. Um, so take, take that, take with that what you will. He's not no longer the coach of the Boomers. And we tried, we tried our best, pro. We tried our best to facilitate um, what, you know, where Ben's psyche was, how could we help? And once again, I'm going to emphasize, I, I, I don't put this on all on Ben. I, I think there's there's people in his group and his agency and family and whatnot. I'm not sure exactly who it is that just to give this kid some crazy advice. But to go through that roller coaster from early 2019 to I'm playing, I'm not playing, I'm playing, I'm going to play two games, I'm going to affect the preparation. And then I think Ben probably realized like I am affecting the preparation a little bit and then just left again after all the work we'd built to try and fix that. That to me, it just rubbed me the wrong way, pro, and I, I wasn't fond of it. I'm, I'm on record saying it. And that's a story that no one knows. And the Victorian government to strong arm a national team, Australian national team who's trying to win a gold medal for their country to strong arm them by playing someone that they have a separate deal with, to me, just was like the epitome of 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 just government. Or you know, it's it's a, it's a form of corruption to an extent. It's just like you're going to threaten a federation and a coach that's trying to do the right thing. And Andre Lamanis is a basketball coach, and I, I'd warned him long, long ago about the intricacies and and all the all the things he's going to have to deal with and go through. And he was always, I just want to coach basketball. I just want to coach basketball. I want to get us a gold medal. I want to get us a gold medal. And that's why I loved him. He had no idea about the inner workings, how all this shit works. And I, I do, and I did from from being in the NBA for fifteen odd years in college and college and the politics that's involved in it. And it's just so heartbreaking that that's that's the end of Andre Lamanis, essentially the national team. His brand is tarnished somewhat, and. That's your answer, ladies and gentlemen, as to you know why why the national team and Ben there's there's a bit of bit of discontent there, and I think it you know I, I don't think it's something that gets fixed overnight. But like I said, it's it's just I wish the people around him, and I wish we could just get to him as a group and, and chat to him and back then and, and bring him in and be like, hey man, like you know what do you need from us? Like why don't you want to play and all that? But we, we can't even you know we can't even get a, a call to him or a text to him. We have to go through four or five people to get to it, pro. But that's kind of my long spiel of of a story that people wouldn't really know the inner workings of how dirty this is at times dealing with sporting federations and governments and trying to win a medal and coaches and star players and that's the reality of of what we see did they give the um 145 million or at least part of it you know start going forward with the money or did they still hold it out because he didn't play how, how'd that go both i think they have kept the agreement because I think they realized that we, we tried to we tried to make good as a as a federation when we got the okays and I think once once Ben showed up to that first training session, I think Visit Victoria realized that it wasn't so much an us thing as it was a Simmons camp thing. And then there was also the infamous Crown, Crown Casino incident where Ben Simmons um, had claimed he was racially vilified for not being led into a casino without an ID, saying that he got ID'd when one of, one of his white friends or someone else didn't. But the the end of the day, he was, he was ID'd and wasn't wasn't deemed sorry he was of age didn't have an id on him and they wouldn't let him in and that, and that caused an issue then and i think visit victoria were like hang on <laughs> you know you, we're paying you to promote victoria <laughs> you just yeah it was basically world news uh, i don't know if you remember it it was world news that he was he was vilified and i think visit victoria got a little bit pissed off about that um, whether it happened or not is a separate conversation um but yeah and and they i believe they then realized you know not so much a basketball australia trying to be 
trying to be uh, silly um i think they realized it was maybe maybe a, a clutch sports camp thing and um i believe all the all the money all, all the money still being paid out as we speak over the years but um that was just yeah j- j- just crazy man like the fact that you can hold a national team's coach you know, hold on his head that you're gonna you're gonna affect grassroots sport in the state of victoria for five or ten years if you don't do what, what for only a couple of games yeah and, and yeah but it was part of the like you gotta remember pro these two games in melbourne they're, they're the two biggest basketball events we've ever had in australia in the history of this country yeah you got point 50 something thousand people at a basketball game for both games fully sold out australia versus usa one of them said history it was the first time we'd ever beaten team usa as an australian national team so it was a big big deal and it was Visit Victoria and the Victorian government as part of bringing because they they're involved in bringing that game over right so they're paying money to bring that game over they're paying the USA Team USA and the NBA to have that all organised another big part of it was we're paying Ben Simmons to be part of that game he was on all the billboards him and I were and I think Andrew Gaze and Lauren Jackson they did this big promo spray painted a big wall so he was paid not only to promote Visit Victoria but to be part of that game so they had a right to be a little bit um, their nose out of joint but the fact that then we felt the heavy ramifications of it and like i said andre Armanis now the former head coach he's told yeah like we'll put it on your head if, if he doesn't play you're not getting the money but I, th- I believe that the money's still going through thankfully but I, I mean imagine being told that as a head coach pro like you're, you're, head, you're a head coach pro we want you to win a gold medal but by the way we need you we need you to do this so if the gold maybe goes to silver bronze or fourth not too much of a big deal because we've got this 145 million that you probably want more. I mean, it's what do you do? Yeah, it's bullshit. I mean, to be honest, I'd rather watch fucking Andrew Gates and Oscar Schmidt go play horse than fucking watch Ben Simmons play in a couple of exhibition games and not take 15 foot shots because they, he doesn't want to miss. So, yeah, it is pretty bullshit but like again we talk about players talking about this is a business this is a business and all this bullshit right that said i mean you gotta be self-aware and understand how that's impacting basketball australia you know as far as like you holding them you know hostage you don't want to play for them so why not just come out and say look i don't want to play for basketball australia that is what it is but like this whole this whole fake thing that that's created where, you know, oh, he wants to play maybe he's posting pictures with fucking the jersey in the background or on or whatever. I mean, it's just like, be a man. Just say, hey, look, tell him. And this is what you said last time is like, you can't have five, six people around you running your life. You got to take ownership and just call the guy who runs Basketball Australia. I guarantee you get his number in two seconds and say, I want to play or I don't want to play. And what's the deal? And how do I do it? Just because everybody else handles the same thing. And if I was Basketball Australia, I would just cut the cord, to be honest. If it's always going to be something, just cut the cord. I know he's a tremendous talent. But if you're going to change everything that you do, minus being held hostage for 145 million that's a little different but i'm just saying like if this whole thing it's just like you know it's always going to be something and he hasn't ever really suited up for you guys for a full for a full tournament right it's always been no no, he hasn't he's he's done the junior stuff not not in the men's 2014 he got cut that would be his first but for me it it was really sad it was it was it was kind of it was just heartbreaking for me seeing andre lamanis who's expertise and not in yeah. not in managing political games with governments and clutch sports and, and you know 
that's that's where I was. I was hurt for him, man. I was hurt for him. Like I really was, and he wouldn't want me talking about this. Nobody really would. Um, but it, it, it's just it was it was really it was just you. You just felt like you needed to go have a shower after hearing all this, and you're just like, like you said, bro. I've got no issue with. Ben not being able to play or not wanting to play or wanting to rehab or wanting to, hey, man, I need a mental recharge. We, I get it, man. Like, I totally get it. I've, had, I've dealt with injuries and mental stuff, so I get it. I have no issue with that. It's that whole loop you just threw. We're trying to prepare as a national team, and we're going through this whole distraction for four, three or four months in the lead up to a team, to a tournament that we had a potential to win a gold medal at, and we just fell short. That's that's the hardest thing, and and people people don't they don't know that they just see oh under the minus five they finished fourth again they didn't get a medal rightful firing, but for us to even finish fourth with dealing with all the shit that we had to up until then, even Xavier Cook's getting injured, different things going on. There's there's a few other things that went on, you know, uh, at different times in that tournament and the lead up, which we'll get to another day. But, you know, it's just so hard. And and I think he should be, com- Andre Lamana should be commended. Luke Longley, this, the coaching staff should all be commended. Uh, like I wasn't, I wasn't too happy about it, to be quite honest with you, because I, I just felt more from not for me. Like I, I could care less. Like if you if you don't want to play and you're the best player in the world, so what? We'll we'll figure it out without you, and we'll try our best without you. It was more for what it did to our coaching staff. And um, you you make a point about basketball Australia, maybe saying, dude, like we're done with this. They can't. You know, he's he's the face of no, the face of Australian basketball, and they see marketing and and sponsorship as that's part of their KPIs and how they how they get money into the game and Ben's the pinnacle for that so you want him involved but it goes to the extent of we we hide we, we hide people at clutch sports request you know for our national team so basically their demands he, he needs this if you don't have this he's not even going to play and so we jumped through hoops and did a lot and still she still didn't play like and that's that's where it becomes sad and, and basketball australia to be honest that they made some mistakes along the way that i mentioned you know you got to put him in that 14 team for this very reason now was six years on he hasn't played a game and you know him coming with lsu and being a he has a valid gripe about that like there should have been someone from basketball australia sitting in a suit at every one of those damn games and we love love seeing you on australian soil can't wait till you with the national team he's a he's a bag of gear Here's a bag with a jersey in it. Like, be smart about it. Like, don't don't be so silly. But on the flip side, that shouldn't now not have you ever want to play for the national team again. You know what I mean? So there's, I think both there's there's faults at both sides. Like like you said, I have no issue with Ben not playing. It's it's all this extra stuff where you know it got to a point where I I, I basically I can't remember who I asked. I said, let me get his number. And I'll just ask him the question: Yes or no? Do you want to play? Because I was getting I was I was at a point where I was like, I'm sick of having these hour two hour calls with the coaches and basketball australia and oh now the camp want they want this or they want this or he might not do this i'm like i want to call it no no we don't want you to do that like i just i want to call him and just just no no hard feelings man yes or no do you want to play like if you don't want to play we get on with life if you want to play how best can we help you be comfortable and that's how that's kind of guy i am after after a few of these meetings like you're banging your head against the wall you're like I just need a yes or no answer. I can't. I can't play the political game for much longer, man. Like I'm gonna. I'm gonna go want, want to jump off a bridge. You know what I mean? And but yeah. Anyway, that's that's kind of for people out there some background of of why Ben hasn't played and won't play, and who knows if he will in the future. I hope he does. But that's just the dirty game. Yeah, I know there's a lot of money on the line for a basketball Australia, right? And I'm not telling you. I'm not telling them that they should just tell the guy to fuck off. I'm saying, hey, look, here, here you go, Ben. Here it is. Here's the camp. If you're here day one. You're with us. Fine. If you're not, that's it. There's no extra hoop jumping. There's no hiring people. This is your national team. You know what I'm saying? Like USA basketball does, you know, they try to coerce guys into playing. They want to get the best players. But like they, you, at some point, you got to be like, look, we want you. We're, you know, we're here for you. We'll support you. But 
you're going to be here like everybody else. If you want to be here, great. But don't jump through these hoops. Now, I understand the money. Don't get me wrong. But they got to, at some point, don't say we're done with Ben Simmons. But always invite him. If he's not there day one, then he's out. And that's it. And that's how you should treat it because this is your national team. You know, and, and at some point, like it's embarrassing that you, they have to have people call and, you know, beg. And it just at, at what point do you say, wait a minute, what are we doing? Like, yes, he's going to really help us and he's he, we need that talent. But I'd rather somebody who's just more engaged and wants to play that's a really good player out of the NBL that like takes this stuff serious and is going to help us try to win some games internationally and in competition. Look, and if this guy, that's it. He's like everybody else. That that's your national team. You know, it's not like it's not like you're you're in free agency and you're begging him to come to your team because you need him to play because you're in an organization that that doesn't have players and you're going to offer him a max contract and begging him to come. Here's your best players in Australia. Yes, they're they're not as talented. Most of them aren't as talented as him. But like, at some point, you got to be like, fuck it. Like, we're not going to be disrespectful to him. But he's going to show up like everybody else. If he doesn't want to do that, then we got to move on this year. And hey, four years from now, good. We'll, we'll invite you again. But if you're not here again on day one, we got to take people that really want to be here. Because like you said, you guys jumped through hoop after hoop after hoop. And you hired people and you did this and you did that and you begged the kid, blah, blah, blah. And what happened? The guy still hasn't played it for you. So at what point do you stop being embarrassed and treating this thing like an organization? And that's the other issue with contracted players when they, they want to hire their coach or they want to bring in free agents. It's the same kind of thing. If our national team says, what do you need? Well, I need this coach. I need this person. I need. I want someone on the board. I want X, Y, Z. And then he gets hurt and doesn't play anyway. Now you've got a squad of 11 other players that are like, what's going on here? You know what I mean? So it's a fine line. I hope, you know, I hope no, no. bygones let bygones be and you know I, I think we hopefully can get him to suit up in the future but i just hope it's without all the, all the sideshow stuff but that's just that's you know unfortunately that's clutch sports to an extent that's part of that whole show and the hollywood and like i said i don't i don't completely blame ben for it i think some people advising him or helping him are just not into that and, and look ben does have some valid gripes from his junior days but i think it's you know we've all been we've all dealt with shit sandwiches from basketball australia to be honest with you historically that they've had some some good people running it at times and they've had some absolute um cowboys running it and that's just a part of what you have to deal with the federations but as far as our squad and doing the right thing and, and coming together to try to win a medal uh, i think not only that i think with what he's gone through now to be part of the squad with these guys they would that would that would help him significantly with just everything he's gone through you know um that team aspect and, no doubt. and just just bringing you back to back to that team aspect of basketball where you don't have a Joel Embiid who's going to let you out to dry in the media if you have a bad game. Or, you know, you have a guy that wants you to do well. And I think that's the difference with it. It can actually, you can actually take more than, take more from the national team from that aspect than sometimes you're giving because it just can, can revitalize you a little bit. But like I said, once the, once the government's got involved and all that, I was, I was off the whole thing. Like I was, I was ready to just go, go rogue, as you'd say, and just be like this. Cause I, I wanted to go to the media at one point. I told someone, I can't remember who I told when the Victorian government threatened that. I was like, nah. That's bullshit. That that is bullshit. So that they they don't care about our medal. They they just care about the this two two game friendly in Melbourne. I was like, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to media and so no, please don't, don't. So I didn't because I was so worried about losing the money and all that kind of stuff. And but yeah, I mean that's that's where we're at and had to talk about it. Otherwise, we take the rogue out of rogue bogues. Um, pro, we're telling telling fluffy stories every week. But this was and this, <laughs> you know, if people want to come at me for telling this story, by all means, come at me. But 
one thing you can't come at me with is the list of notes I have in front of me that I documented at the time um, in 2019 of everything that happened. So, try your best. <laughs> Good luck. Um, this isn't about, like I said, this isn't necessarily about myself versus Ben or whatever. This is just the facts of, of what happened. Um, this is more, you know, giving credit to Andre Manas for the way he handled it. I still think he was a really good coach for us and, and just got caught in the political game, pro. But let's move on. Enough negatives. Let's move on to some positives. Hopefully, stats, useful or useless. So, three good ones. Hawks now won two games to make their first finals since 1961. But only 16% of teams facing a 3-2 deficit have gone on to win the series and over half don't even get to game seven. Atlanta last successfully overcame a 3-2 deficit in the first round of 2010 against the Milwaukee Bucks. And guess who played for the Bucks? You? Yours truly. That's the, the elbow car accident injury. I wasn't actually playing in that playoff series, pro, but I was part of that really good Bucks team. We're up 3-2. Game five was in Atlanta. Beat them. 3 2, uh-huh. going home, home game to wrap up the series. And we get Jerry Stackhouse to sing the anthem. And it was almost as, as much as uh, <laughs> I love Jerry Stackhouse, um, by the way. And he can throw hands. So I'm kind of a little bit scared, but I love Jerry Stackhouse. But he sung this anthem and it was it was the equivalent of you tipping someone to win something. We, <laughs> we, we scored. Sweet. Man, we scored. I think we scored 66 points for the game, maybe. Or I could be wrong. I know we were stuck for, stuck on 66 for like 15 odd minutes, but we, we ended up losing by 30 and lost game seven in Atlanta. But anyhow, back to the stat. Is that a useful stat, bro? Uh, I'd say that's, that's useful. It, it just goes to show you that, you know, it's really hard to overcome a 3-2 deficit. You know, most teams don't get to do it. And, um, it's, I think it's pretty useful just to know that how tough it is to really overcome and get your confidence back to, you know, punch a team in the mouth to go 3-3. And then usually if you're down 3-2, I would assume that most of those teams won't have the home court advantage. So they're going to, you're going to have to win game seven in a hostile territory for the most part. And most of those times that doesn't happen. What do you think, Bose? You think that's a I useful, think useless? It just needs a big asterisk that says COVID. Because that that is the big kicker in all these stats, and COVID is COVID is not only beating up the world, uh, it's beating up NBA picks because it's just all over the place. So I think COVID has a play. Nothing nothing is normal in the NBA, and these I think the, this is the only two years we've had in the NBA where these stats mean jack shit. Because <laughs> you'd almost yeah. bet the opposite, but it is useful. It is it is hard. Be down three two and come back and win a series doesn't happen very often, and for very good reason. Milwaukee does have the home court advantage. They're a really good crowd in Milwaukee. So even if Atlanta get game six, a tough ask, but injury dependent, Trey Young, Giannis, who knows? Next one. 26 of Lopez's 33 points in game five came in the paint. That's tied with Giannis for the second most points in a in the paint by a Bucks player in a playoff game over the last 25 postseasons, bro. That's pretty useful. Shit, I didn't know that. I mean, you know, it just goes to show you that in playoff games, that they're perimeter-oriented, they don't really have many post scores. It's interesting, maybe more than useful, but it's interesting that they that that was it. To be honest, they really haven't had any great post players besides, well, you. Even though you're an asshole, you could play a little bit. When I used to post, <laughs> yeah, when you actually played in the post, and Vin Baker, they've had, you know, he, they had him for a while. Yeah, it's interesting. Big dog, big dog was a good post player. He Big was, Doug he was, was a three, though, but he was a he was a oversized three that just bullied people down there. Yeah, that's interesting. I would say it's I'd say it's useful. What about you? I think it's just useful because when get Brook the damn ball in the low post in the paint. I mean, a lot of them yeah. were from roles, but I think he's one of those unique players. He showed like if he mixes up his roles and pops, he can cause a lot of problems scouting wise. Because um, when he, when you're just like you said, one dimensional, 
the regular season, all he would do is space and pop because he had Giannis. Whereas now he's doing both. He's tough. He's a big body rolling and he can also pop for three. And, and now he's posting. I like it. Get a foot in the paint for Lopez and, you know, he's scoring at a good clip. So pretty useful. Next one. Chris Paul plays first NBA Finals game in the 1,214th game of his career. That's the second latest into a career of players' first ever Finals game. Only behind. I don't know if you've looked at the notes, but if you haven't, can you have a guess, bro? You see the AC Green? Actually, no, because he's a Laker. Um, who the fuck else played a lot? Kevin Willis played a lot. Was it Kevin Willis? Bang. Did you look at the notes? Are you cheating? No, I'm not cheating. Yeah, Kevin no, Willis. I'm a huge Kevin Willis fan. Kevin Willis was 1,429 games. I, th- I believe he got there with the Spurs, didn't he? Yes, yes. He was a big Atlanta Hawk guy for most of his career. I think he played in Dallas, too. Maybe the Lakers, but then he played in the Spurs. Yeah, got it with the Spurs. 99-2000 lockout year, I think. I love those big guys with short arms. Oh, you're a big fan of them, aren't you? (laughs) Those big guys with short arms? Yeah, for sure. I love them. The guy's a fucking hell of a rebounder. The guy probably has shorter arms than I have fucking attention span. It's crazy. Yeah, he played played a long, long time. It was always that chiseled big dude that was just ripped. Um, Even when he was older, he was always... Tell you doing a lot of bicep curls before you ran out there. Yeah. Want to do a little fa- fact or fake news? Go for it. All yours. All right. Robert Sauber, as we know, is one of the more volatile and meddling owners in the NBA. If the Suns win the championship, does he get vindicated from all the meddling years? Fact. I think he does. I mean, and look, you have to take some of these um, with a grain of salt because sometimes there's some salty players that don't get their contract extended or max deal or a coach gets fired or someone gets fired that they liked. Yes, he, he's a meddling owner, but he also paid, you know, whatever he paid, I assume four, five, six hundred million for his team. Uh, he has a right to be meddling, but I think, yeah, you get a chip, whatever you did worked because there's a lot of teams that would rather have a meddling owner that get a championship um, rather than a quiet owner that gets nothing. So I'll say fact. Yeah, you know how it is. When you know when a team wins, I don't care if the player was an asshole, coach was a tyrant, owners, owner, GM, whatever. Like all that stuff goes out the window. Everybody loves you. Everybody forgets winning. Winning solves a lot of fucking problems, folks. I, I totally agree. I think. I think it's fact. I think you know people will just forget about it. They'll, he'll start writing management books, and people you know want to. You know, people want to know how do you, you know, how you run this organization, your hiring and all this stuff. And they'll forget about all those times where they, you know, where he meddled in with the GMs and he micromanaged people and, and does all this. It's just what it is. Like, that's what the media does. Like, you know, they want to, everybody's the darling. Everybody, you know, everybody's perfect. Everybody should be hired and people should be copying you and the blueprint and the process and all that other bullshit. So I do agree. I think, I think uh, it'll be vindicated. All right, Bob. So. You know, obviously, we got a problem with NBA players, rookies coming in with sort of a sense of entitlement. With the NCAA players, some of which will make hundreds of thousands, probably if not millions, depending on who the player is and what year it is. Will this impact their ability to be coached even worse when they get to the NBA than they are today? Oh, wow. That's a fireball. Um, There will be... A greater sense of entitlement for sure. So I would say fact, just because grinding through those college days really made you appreciate the grind, I believe. And as much as I hated eating off the dollar menu at Wendy's and McDonald's at times and not having a, you know, a banknote in my pocket to take a girl out to eat or to the movies, it made you appreciate the grind of actually getting to the NBA and then earning a check. Um, is it right? 
Probably not. Like like we've had these discussions about the NCAA at times that, you know, they could probably give a little bit more. But yeah, I think the entitlement now, you're paying a kid, like we spoke about, even if you're in high school or you just come out of high school, you give a kid a, a, a masterpiece son, you know, four-year, $2 million deal <laughs> in college, you're balling with that money, man. Like you're beyond balling. Like you give someone a four-year, $200,000 deal in college, you're balling because everything else is still paid for. So now you're just straight cash, no bills, not paying you're not paying for anything, right? So I think those kids then moving on to the NBA and being told what to do, I think they'll be even more entitlement pro. Dude, imagine these poor fucking prick uh like these college coaches college coaches ran the show. I don't care what kind of recruit you have, you know, they might be a pain in the ass, but you're still the big dog on campus. You know, you you have that over them. You know, most of these coaches making two million, three million, four million bucks, you know, in college. Imagine now fucking these guys, these kids that they're gonna come coaching. Some of them are gonna be making two, three, four hundred thousand, you know, on top of the money that school's already paying them under the table. So now you're talking about seven, eight hundred grand, you know, two middle fingers up. Like you're gonna fucking tell me what to do. A, I'm going to the NBA next year anyway. B, now I'm making bank openly. So the fuck, you know. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, coach, I got five fucking, you know, I got five photo shoots tomorrow. Let's start moving practice up to three fucking PM. Oh, the NBA special. (laughs) Yeah. No doubt about it. So good luck with that shit, man. It's going to be tough. They're going to be, they're going to be really tough. They're going to be real tough. Imagine being a high school coach and dealing with it. Like, all right, college, at least those dudes are making a couple of million. (laughs) Imagine being the high school coach. Like, (laughs) yeah. No, the high school and AAU guys are, I mean, you know, they got absolutely no control for the most part. And now you're talking about these, you know, these colleges where these kids are going to be making, I mean, they were making money before, but imagine they're going to be making like hundreds of thousands and they got these photo shoots and these agents. And yeah, and you can have these kids fucking, you know, having these agents that are cutting the brokering these deals for them. Now you're going to have agents, you know, it's usually uh, parents and AAU coaches, high school coaches bitching about their kids playing time. Now you're going to have the agent, the agents that's booking these fucking things. What do you think? They're not going to be calling like they call their fucking NBA GMs when their clients aren't playing. Yeah, I think it's going to be a big fucking problem that that definitely will be impactful i still think i like the idea of them making money off their likeness but it's not going to do anything for their competitive fucking nature they're going to be really tough to deal with not all of them obviously you know if you're coaching in fucking you know valdosta state you're still good but if you're, you're in kentucky north carolina duke yeah good luck with that shit okay last one bogues Kawhi leonard leaves the la clippers oh tough i've seen there's some rumors dallas a few other teams this are- year this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. He, he can opt out, right? Yeah. He can still opt out and sign with them, but go ahead. Yeah, he can sign a longer deal. Yeah, he'll opt out regardless. Um, but yeah, um, as far as leaving, I mean, you look at their squad, are they that? I think they're just as talented as Toronto were when they went to the chip, in my opinion. But it's just a matter of staying healthy. I think he loves LA from what I understand, He's or California, loves that area. So that could play a part. My whole thing is where does he go? Like Dallas is rumored, you put him next to Luca. Eh, okay. There's a few other teams out there. I would say fact. Uh, it's f- fake news. I don't think he leaves the Clippers. I just don't think there's many better rosters out there for him. Keep PG, who had a hell of a year. You've got, um, you know, Morris. You've got probably need to make some tweaks losing Jackson. Um, you've got Zubat's a solid big. And, you know, don't forget they didn't get much out of Ibaka and a few other guys. So they make a few more tweaks in the offseason. They should be close. Yeah, I think it's fake news too. I, I don't I don't see him leaving. Like you said, he likes being in LA. They got a good team. They'll tweak the roster like they usually do. They don't really have a lot of money to spend and they're going to have to do some things. But I, I, I can't see him leaving. I mean, they're still one of the best. I mean, yes, they underachieved. But let's be honest, like, again, he doesn't get hurt. 
If he doesn't get hurt, you're talking about them easily being in the NBA Finals. So, well, not easily, but they would have been there. But I, I think that you, know, you take a look, like, where are you going to go? You're going to go to Dallas? You know, they don't have, they got about $20 million to spend. Yes, they could probably get rid of some contracts and open up some more money. But again, it's not guaranteed that you're going to play well at Luka. It's just, it, you, don't, you don't know. I mean, you play well with this team. This team is built pretty well. You know, they got to they tweak it a little bit. Uh, their staff's got to be a little bit less like an AAU team, you know, with their coaching staff yelling in Ty Luz there every two seconds and, and just get a little more stability there. But I think they're fine. I think he'll stay. I think there's a little story coming out like he didn't like the medical team and all that stuff. But who the fuck knows if that's true or not. But I, I say he stays. I don't think there's any problem with him leaving. All that means he's probably going to hire his cousin, auntie and uncle are going to be on the medical team next season. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There'll be there'll be 401k. I heard last season, I think last season he he didn't live in LA, I don't think he was living closer to San Diego and um some people I know told me that he delayed the plane a few times cuz he used to helicopter out Kobe style. So if I know a few of the guys weren't too happy about that on last season, not this past season, the season before. So I think he likes that whole lifestyle. He can live in a nice place out near San Diego and helicopter in if he needs to and I don't think um, much is changing. San Diego's nice. Really nice. San Diego's solid. All right, real quick Q&A, we'll get to these real quick. We've got about 10 minutes left. First one's easy to answer. So, hi, Bogues and Pro. An iconic picture of Dwayne Wade throwing the off the backboard pass to LeBron, who then dunks it. It is clear that you, Bogues, are in the background. What is it like to be part of a bad end of an iconic image, e.g. Jason Terry, Joel Embiid, Ty Lu? What were your thoughts in that moment, and have you ever gotten press about that moment? Well, first off, don't compare me being in that photo to Jason Terry and Joel Embiid and Ty Lu getting... You know, Tyler Lubin stepped over, Joel Embiid, John Collins, Jason Terry, LeBron James, Dunk, I assume you're referring to. I was just running my ass back defensive transition. It wasn't my fault. I don't think I believe we turned the ball over up high, top of the key, and I was down near the box. And um, yeah, I just remember running back in transition and just seeing that. And to, to be honest, I don't really give a shit about those kind of plays because to me, they're two points. Um, but yeah, I noticed in the photo, I've seen it a few times and I look real closely and I'm like, that's ah, me back there. So it doesn't really bother me, to be honest with you, bro. No, I mean, I mean, what are you gonna do? It's just, it's just one of those times, you know. You, you're just sort of, yeah. What are you just caught in it? You know, I mean, you got nothing to do with it. It's just, it is what it is. But yeah, I, don't, I think people sort of, you know, people make a big deal out of these things anyway. A guy gets dunked on, or you know, whatever, and, and it's, you know, it's sometimes. Hey, look, you're gonna get caught in a poster one of these days. Who cares? It is what it is. You you move back. The checks. Yeah, that's the mentality. Yeah, the checks still coming in the first and the fifteenth. The great Ted Lasso. One of my favorite shows, which you're a character based on, Roy <laughs> Kent. Like he says, great line in that movie. You got to be like the happiest. What's the happiest animal? It's a goldfish. Why? Goldfish has a memory span of 10 seconds. You just got to fucking forget about that shit. You can't let it fester. It is what it is. If you're going to let it fester, you're fucked. You know, you just let it go. It's a play. It happens. And then you just fucking run down the court and you do it, you know. It's like the Frederick Weiss dunk. It is what it is. He got fucking dunked on. He's 22 feet tall. You know, he's more, he got jumped over. It, it's fucking Vince Carter. I mean, it's not the last guy he'd ever do that to. So, yeah. But you just get caught. Fair enough. I'm happy to sign that photo for anyone that has it anyway. If you have it and, you're, and I'm in the background and you catch me out in the bat, I'll sign it for you. Thanks for that question, Josh from Sydney. Um, loves the pod and said, keep up the good work. Next one. Hi, Andrew. My question is, what is the most important on defense? Is it effort, skill, mental awareness, or a combination? Thanks. There's a lot of things defensively. Number one is you wanting to play defense is probably the priority pro. I think um, there's a lot of players that 
Yeah. There's a lot of players in the league that have labeled bad defenders that can be good defenders. They just don't want to be because they play one side of the ball. You get hit a lot more playing defensively. You risk a lot more injuries playing defensively. And some guys just want to keep their legs for the other end. If it's a big part, there's no real skill as per se. Like you can't really go into the off season and be like, I'm going to work on my sliding. You know, like, yes, you can work on your lateral quickness a little bit. The skill is more in the mental awareness, is reading the game, kind of, you're somewhat a quarterback when you're on defense, especially as a big guy. You can see the floor and you got to kind of get a feel for what's going to eventuate before it does um, a couple of seconds before. Otherwise, if you know, what we just spoke about in the last segment, the last question, if you get somewhere late in the NBA, you're going to be Frederick Weiss um, and Vince Carter is going to have his, his ball bag on your head. So that was one thing I learned very quickly was in the NBA, you're better off showing up on your help side defense way earlier than late. Try to side on the, on the side of uh, early. But yeah, there's nothing you can really do training-wise. Watching a lot of film helps, watching a lot of basketball and – I think, yeah, the biggest thing I would have as a help side offender is, is, is talk, look big, and try to get there early. I think that's, that's part of it. And then on the ball is playing tendencies, knowing which way a guy goes. So knowing your scanning report and trying to, trying to make your, your job as a defender generally is to try and make the offensive player do something that they're not used to or they're not comfortable with. If you let them get to their spots on the floor, let them get feel good in a rhythm dribble that you know they're going to do, then it's on you. They're going to feel good about themselves. But if you make them make a tough shot and, hey, they're going to make it sometimes, you shake their hand. But the percentages and analytics, um, as we know, say if you make them take that shot they don't want to take most possessions, even if they make five in a row, it's going to eventually equal out where they miss 10 in a row, bro. What do you got for us? You know, Bogues, I think the three most important things that any defender could be, you know, can do. Like, I'd rather five good team defenders than like – get one unbelievable stopper and four people who don't want to play defense. So like you said, you got to have to want to play defense. The three things that I think that it's really important in, you know, in, in the defense today is a hand positioning, you know, not holding, knowing where to put your hands, not getting, not getting called for fouls, not overplaying and then them go with a sweep through move and, and draw on fouls. So hand positioning is one, two, not leaving your feet on fakes. On the perimeter, especially, you know, if you could, if you could discipline yourself to not, not leave the ground. A lot of people like to like challenge shots, leave your feet. The best thing that could happen is you leave your feet, you don't foul and the guy misses a shot. There's a thousand other bad things that could happen. You could foul a three point shooter. It could go in and you foul him. Uh, you could jump and you don't foul him, but now it's an open driving lane where everybody's got to rotate and scramble on the weak side and, and to help. So those are bad things. So I think disciplining yourself to stand on the ground, hand positioning where you're not fouling. And the third thing is be aware of what's going on on the weak side, being aware of helping the helper, you know, helping somebody if they get beaten helping the helper where if somebody else helps, but now it leaves them man exposed in the paint, you got to sit on their legs and get in front of them, things like that. Just seeing where the ball is as, as well as your man not not allowing the cut. So I think if those three things, if you can do at any position, um, I think you'd be pretty good. So I think it's more of a mental thing. Like you said, studying your opponents, studying you know their tendencies and things. But I think those three things, not leaving your feet, hand positioning, and having an awareness of what happens in the off the ball on the weak side, you know, and always being in a position to try to help or help somebody else. I think those three things are really important when it comes to defense. Like I said, I don't care about being a stopper. You might be a stopper. There's a few of them in the league, but I'd rather so, I'd rather five people on the floor that have an idea about good team defense, you know, and, and not doing stupid things like following following on stupid plays and leaving the feet of a ton. 
Yeah, no doubt. I think good advice and, yeah, just actually wanting to do it is half the battle, especially, you know, in professional sports. But as a, as a young fella, you got to want to be able to play both ends of the floor and, and there's a lot of guys that don't have great offensive games that end up making the pros because they're phenomenal defenders. So keep that in mind. Next one, hey, Andrew and Mike, I love the podcast and it's Honest Nature. Question for both you guys with Kwame Brown coming onto the scene and hitting back at everyone. Who's had something to say about him? There's been a lot of talk on whether it's fair to label NBA players as busts. Jalen Rose even retired the word bust on his show. Do you guys think it's fair to label some players as busts or should we all, should we give them all their due diligence for making the league? There's only 400 spots in the league and making it Making it even for a short amount of time, I think, is a great accomplishment. Keep up the great work. That's from Charlie in Ballarat, Victoria. About the point, I mean, bust is a harsh word because, you know, it just, I guess it's just, it's a, it's a toxic word to an extent, but it is what it is. You know, people, those people pay to, to analyze and make those takes are paid to do those takes for a reason. They want to roll people up. They want to get click, clicks. They want to get headlines. You're right. Anyone that's made the NBA is definitely not a bust in life. So I think Kwame has a point there. And I think they went, real hard on Kwame and Kwame's explained a million times as to why he thinks that happened with Stephen A. Smith and whatnot and one of the first high school players to go big out of the out of um out of high school with the number one pick and whatnot. So yeah, I think there is there is a bit of legitimacy to to using that word, but I mean what are they gonna they're just gonna change it with something else. They're just gonna say, oh he, he's not good, you know? So <laughs> what's the difference? I think bust is an alarmist type word, but they'll just change it into something else and retiring a word is not going to change the fact that these talking heads get paid to say crazy shit and they're going to continue to do it bro yeah i don't i don't see a problem with the word bust to be honest with you you know especially when you're talking about top picks in the nba draft and sort of what comes with that you know and like you said everybody there's a talking heads we do it you know espn does it a million podcasts do it and look in some aspects he was a bust right like he was a number one pick and he it, it doesn't matter like at the end of the day folks nobody gives a fuck Nobody gives a fuck if your coach was a tyrant. Nobody gives a fuck that you play with Michael Jordan and he, he treated you the way he did. Like, nobody gives a fuck. As far as if it's not him and the person, it's got nothing to do with him personally. But if you talk about basketball-wise, compa- comparing him to other number one picks, like we talked about, if he was a 23rd pick, nobody would give a fuck. You know, plenty of those guys flame out. But you're the number one pick, and regardless of what happened, the, the public record on basketball reference is what he did in each of those seasons. And he didn't play well. And again, nobody cares. You break your leg in 26 places and, and you got to fucking, and you got to stop out of the league. Nobody gives a fuck. You know, your coach was a tyrant and he, he didn't play you for one reason or another because he doesn't like your agent. He doesn't like where the school you came from. He doesn't like your European. Nobody gives a fuck. Like, hey, look, they call you a bust, they call you a bust. He made a lot of money, he was successful in life. It's hard as fuck to get to the NBA. No doubt about it, that's an accomplishment. Everybody who makes the NBA, that's an accomplishment, 100%. But people get paid to evaluate. You're being evaluated every fucking game. And the same thing like Paul George we talk about. Paul George plays great in 90% of the games he plays in. And then there's going to be 10% where he doesn't. And they're going to call him on those 10%. Unfortunately, that's the world we live in. So I don't really care about the word bust. It is what it is if you want to use that. Uh, As long as you don't go personal with a guy, if you're just talking about his basketball skill because you're evaluating that, and he was a number one pick, so it automatically puts a, a, a target on his back. Again, nothing personal. 
he was a heck of a player coming out of high school. He was a serviceable NBA player, not a great one, not a, he was just a decent one. And again, nobody cares why he got to that point. He just got to that point. And so I, I'm okay with the word bust, especially if you're evaluating somebody's performance. I know people like to be sensitive about it. Jalen Rose and all these guys, you know, like to say they want to be the first person to like, you know, to retire that, to, to say that they're self-righteous and stuff. But that's not the truth. Let's be honest. We've all bashed players. You know, we've all do it. It is what it is. As long as you don't go personal with it, you're just evaluating their performance based on what you think the game should be played like. I think you have the right to do that. Yeah, I think it's fair enough. It's definitely fair enough. And I mean, it's just who, how someone takes the word. I think context yeah. plays a big part as well. And I mean, to me, you can banter with me and call me wherever you want. I really don't care. I'm going to go back at you the same way and then we get on with life. Um, but I'm not going to sit there and say I need to retire a word. I think Jalen's just shitting himself that Kwame's going to be in Jalen's ass on him, yes. one, of his, <laughs> one, of his, one of his rants. So he's just like, I'll retire <laughs> it for you, bro. Just leave me out. Love you, Kwame. He's fantastic. Fantastic. All right, last question real quick. Andrew, as a younger guy, how much work a day, week in, did you put into training? That's from Boars. Uh, as a younger guy, I put a lot of time into training. So I'll give you a quick rundown. I'm, I assume it's probably the same today. Monday morning, I'd have a session in the morning for about an hour before school. So about 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m. Every day, Monday to Friday, I'd meet with a trainer who I've spoken about on the My Journey series. We'll call him Steve for legal reasons. <laughs> <laughs> he would pick me up from school basically take me straight home get me changed and i'd, I'd train basically four to six ish six six thirty seven or, or until we got kicked off the court at times that was monday to friday on top of those sessions i'd have a team session on wednesday nights at about seven thirty. so i'd go from that steve session go home get a quick bite or sometimes even go straight from there and then then go over play uh, do another morning session on wednesday morning for about an hour before school friday night game saturday morning um i'd have a bunch of domestic games local games sunday there'd be another team training session with the club team i play with on friday and then monday would start all over again and then on top of that i'd put in some time at home but all in all it was a lot it was a lot of time i was really really tired throughout that process and it was just a lot of a lot of basketball try to play as much as i could and played a lot of games on weekends like i play sometimes four or five games on weekends with club teams so on a number of hours i'm not sure it'd, it'd be 30 odd something like that if not more and then including games and travel and all that but I've, i'll go back to again to master any craft or at least be competent where you're professional in your craft there's ten thousand hours so whether that's playing a guitar or being whatever um the number they say they use loosely is 10,000 hours. So get uh, get to math class and figure that out and try to implement that, bro. Yeah, 10,000 hours. I've done that in eating probably in the first two months of my life. But that's that's pretty cool. I think I'm a pretty much of an expert at that. But yeah, I mean, if you want to be great at anything, you have to prepare for it. And you have to, again, I think in development, when, when we're talking about development players, the first thing you got to do is teach them. I don't care if it's 12 years old, how to be a professional. Meaning, how do you put time in? How do you prepare? How do you, you know, take care of your body? How do you take care of your skill on the court? How do you take care of preparing for opponents? Obviously, not a 12-year-old, but if you're talking about a young high school, college player, you know, whatnot, a professional player. So, I think spending that time, Kobe was insane. Like, Kobe would do, you know, 5, 5 a.m. on the court. Then he would do his weights. They would eat breakfast. Then he would do, you know, he would go yoga. He would go martial arts. He would get a break in, eat lunch, do track work at night. He would spend literally nine or 10 hours a day training. And that's, that's a little crazy. I think if you're a young kid, you put, you know, you put some type of 
you know, 45 minutes to an hour and stretching and yo or yoga or whatever to just sort of get your body, keep your body sort of, you know, strong. You, you put some time in the weight room, 45 minutes to an hour. You get on the court for an hour, hour and a half. I think you're good. You're good to go. Uh, so if you're putting two and a half hours in a day, especially in the off season, I think that's two and a half to three hours a day is with everything. I think that it, and it's a, a great deal. And yeah, th- that could really prepare you, especially if you're working on the right things. Uh, a lot of players like to work out and play and all that for eight hours a day and they're not really doing the right things. I think you could streamline it, you know, and you could cut it down to two and a half to three hours, especially and you got to play a little bit too to sort of work on the things that you've done on the court. But I think you just got to work on the right things and be focused on the task at hand. And then obviously post-workout, post-playing to be able to ice down, heat, ice, whatever, stretch to keep your body loose and, and, and healthy. So I think if you're spending three, you know, about close to three, three and a half with playing a day, I think you're in good shape. But get you at least one day of rest where you're not doing anything yeah, a week. No you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. Try to try to tell Steve that, but after, after a long weekend of games, Monday morning, and that, it was like we had a few lighter sessions, like stretching and whatnot. But it's hard to tell an Eastern European coach that. But yeah, I think you need a good mix, and and just know, like you said, bro, I think spot on the rehab, weights, physio, ice, stretching, cold tub. That's part of training too. So it doesn't mean if you go sit in a hot tub for three hours, you're going to be an NBA player. But it does mean yeah. that if you have some niggles or some some issues with your body, and the physio says I need you to do these rehab exercises. I need you to do this. I need you to ice. You need to do that. That's part of your training as well. It's not always just people think training is just running up and down a court. Video as well, which is what you're involved in heavily. Watching film and video sure. can, can really help your game. For instance, find someone in your position that's a similar style to you professionally. Like, I'm this guy. I'm a rebounder scrapper. You know, look up a rebound scrapper, a Dennis Rodman type or someone. What, what does he do to get an extra couple of rebounds? Or, or what am I bad at? Let me find that guy um, on some tapes on YouTube that I want to be a better screen setter. Let me look up some screen setters, you know, whatever it is. And I think there's I think today, pro kids are spoiled, and we all are with with the access to the internet to learn how to do anything. Everything is on YouTube, dude. Like every single thing you want to learn how to do, yeah. want to put a picture on a wall and how to how to level it and how to um, measure so it's centered. Go to YouTube. You want to find anything you want is on YouTube, and we're in a very fortunate time in society. I know social media and the internet get a lot of shit for the negatives, but shit, there's a lot of there's a lot of positives on there as well. For sure. And you just got to work on the right things. That's the thing. Like, you know, most of the clients and the, the high school kids I'll, or college or professional players I'll send things to, you know, I want to make sure that like that it's something they're going to actually do in games and specific things, you know, and not only just the offensive part, but also the offensive part with not only scoring, but making plays for other people. So you got to look at somebody who's got physical, you know, same physical characteristics as you, same skills that you have, same position that you do, and then watch how they get their baskets and how they get their points and then try to emulate that and really be tunnel vision if you're you know if you're a six nine lumbering player that's big strong heavy wide whatever you want to call it you shouldn't be studying fucking what trey young's doing you know what I'm saying? You shouldn't be studying what Kevin Durant's doing. You should be studying what like Marcus Soule's doing, what Valanusius is doing, what you know, you know, what what a player like that is doing. So you gotta look yourself in the mirror and be honest because not only your training should be focused on things you actually do in games, the players that you study. You should be actual players that sort of have the 
the same characteristics that you do. So you could actually follow that up with positive things. You know, again, that's the problem we have in the society with trainers and things. I think trainers are good. I don't think all of them are bad at all. But I think that a lot of times they train everybody the same and they want to train everybody like the top five players that are playing in the NBA. And that's just not very positive and it's not really going to do much for a player's career at any level. So I, I agree with you. I think the film's really important. And I think, you know, studying the right people doing the right things is just as important, if not more. Totally agree. All right. That's episode 27 at Rogue Bogues on all your social media platforms at Hoop Consultants to find Pro on Instagram and Twitter. And then Rogue Bogues on all your favorite podcast platforms. Safe travels to Athens, Pro. Don't eat too many year off. Make sure you have a legitimate internet connection for next week's show and enjoy the flight. Without question. Hopefully, we don't go to an act fucking three. So, hopefully, act two is going to be the end of it. All right. Good luck. See you next week.